0: Get in, losers. This is the Lady Killers of Feminine Rage podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Sammy. I'm Rocco. And I'm May.
1: Our podcast is a tribute to the female-identifying killers in horror and more.
0: Each episode will feature us, your Supreme Court of female murderers, discussing our favorite lady killers, from your Julias and Jennifers to your Carries and Christines.
1: We'll tell her story, decide if it's good for her horror, and answer the most important question of all. Would we die for her?
0: Join us on Thursdays as we pull on our sweaters, snatch our ice picks, sharpen our scissors, and honor the lady killers who live on the silver screen. No boys were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yet.
2: Consequence Podcast Network
3: My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love then I do too and
2: listeners and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn and I am a senior staff writer at Consequence of Sound as well as a co-host of this fair podcast. Who is sitting across from me?
1: That would be Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and a co-host of this fair podcast as
2: well. It's good to have you, Mike. Yeah, yeah. And who's sitting next to me?
4: This would be Melanie Ruth Castle. Um, don't contribute to Consequence of Sound, but I do contribute to the Loser Club all the time. So I guess in a way, I in do In a way, contribute. you really
2: do. Um.
4: I work at an animal hospital.
2: Yes, she does. And um, we're going to be talking about some animals today a little bit later on. An animal by the name of Lori, but we'll get there. Uh, this is a Needful Tweets episode. We're here to talk about the latest in King's Twitter account, the latest in King news, and good Lord, there is a lot today. Plus, we're going to talk about The Outsider, the brand new novel from the author that this podcast is dedicated to. (laughs) Very exciting. The book came out on Tuesday of this week and two people who are here right now have already read the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) Incredible. And then we're going to talk about um, Laurie, the short story that uh, King dropped online kind of out of nowhere. And then we're also going to make a huge, huge announcement that you simply must stick around to the end of this podcast to hear. That uh, is how we're going to cap things off. So uh, we've got a lot to get through. So let's get going. It's time for Needful Tweets. Ed Harris, take it away. He's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Please kill them all. Let God sort them out. Welcome, welcome. It is here. It is time. The tweets have arrived. Uh, We're going to kick off on May 2nd here. Mike, do you want to start us? Yep, here we go. Few
1: things are as lovely as having an uninterrupted hour with a good book. Do you agree? I agree. I agree, too. You know, I do like an hour with uh,
2: nothing. When you read, do you read for a long time? I tend to. Do you?
4: Yeah, I'm definitely like a completionist. Like you sit
2: down and you you like read for extended periods of time. If I'm going
4: to read, I'm going to read. That's why it's difficult for me to read during commutes sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: No, I understand that. What's the longest you've read before?
4: I mean, when (laughs) the Harry Potter novels were coming out, I was reading from waking up to going to sleep. And I would finish them in that day and then it would be it.
1: Yeah. Would you be upset that you had no more Harry Potter novels to Kind to consume
4: i guess but it was such a breakneck manic consumption that mm. as a child i feel like it's approximating like i don't know just an empty experience <laughs> so, <And> like <laughs> you're, you're like i did it and then you're like
2: what do i do what now? do i do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't read for long periods of time i get really sleepy and i hate that about myself yeah. i just get super sleepy well, where are you reading uh usually in, in what bed. posture are you <laughs>
4: I I have one piece of constructive (laughs) criticism for you, Randall.
2: What is it? Uh, I think we all know what it is. Let's move on. May 2nd. Hey, speaking of Harry Potter, King retweeted J.K. Rowling. She says, it's that anniversary again. This year, I apologize for killing someone who didn't die during the Battle of Hogwarts, but who laid down his life to save the people who'd win it. I refer, of course, to Dobby, the house elf. And that was retweeted by King. So Mm -hmm. clearly he was a Dobby fan. I'm not a huge Dobby fan. Dobby fan? Mm -mm. Uh, No. Why not? He sucks. (laughs) He's he's
4: annoying. He's really annoying. I've
1: never read the Harry Potter books. Um, Yeah. He appears in, uh, I believe, Chamber of Secrets is the first one, right? Or does he come in through Azkaban?
4: No, it's the second one, I think. Oh, God, I think. I don't fucking know. Well,
2: we got a Potterhead here, Um, but uh, doesn't know know much (laughs) about Dobby. Is this supposed uh, to be like (laughs) a joke? Like like she's clearly referring to someone else? um, I feel
4: like yes, but who else died then? It's definitely not Philip Roth. That's more recent. (laughs)
1: You know, it was May 2nd, so eh, it wasn't. Yeah, I guess it was around the time of the Avengers, so maybe, maybe that
2: could be it. Good film. Cool. Uh, May 5th, Mel, do you want to take this one?
4: Sure. He was quoting a tweet by Shane Leonard, who tweeted It's been a long time since I've seen a line of 35 plus people willing to wait in line to get seated for breakfast, but Thornton's Restaurant in Boston has it, and it's worth the wait. And I think Stephen King added to the top uh, what he said. So, he Bost-
2: Bostonites, Thornton's Restaurant. What if you, like, walked into
1: Thornton's restaurant and you saw Stephen King just eating, like, a, a Grand Slam breakfast? Literally, what thing? would
4: you do, Michael?
1: I would have to go up to him. What would you say? I'd be like, pancakes, huh? <laughs> you know, Hey,
2: guys, big gulps, huh? Big,
1: yeah, or just, like, you know, just some, some short thing, like... You know, Mr. King, uh, I didn't <laughs> I didn't peg you for uh, an egg whites, man. Uh, oh you know, no, I, I've already said something stupid to Stephen King, so I can't go. You know, it doesn't get any dumber than that. So I don't think
2: I could do it. I don't think I could say anything. Anyway, I just never want to bother. I, think people. I would
4: have to. Wouldn't you regret that? I know I
2: would. Life? I just I never want to bother people. You don't you don't want the regret. I
1: live every day with it. Um, what you need
4: is someone with you. Like if Ian was with me, that'd be perfect because yeah. I wouldn't want to say anything. I'd go up and would, be like, hey, I really admire your work. Like shake his hand or whatever. And then Ian would be like, hey, you know, she's on a podcast about you. That, <laughs> so like, see, that's
2: good. Though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I could because do that. You with don't want to be the person. Yeah, um Mike, do you want to take May eleven? Sure, May eleven. When I was a kid,
1: it seems to me that a TV season of shows like Maverick and My Three Sons was thirty nine episodes long. Can that actually be true? Then he responded to Susan Stone, who tweeted at him. uh She wrote, "I just remember having to wait for three months in the summer before my favorite shows were back." The September TV Guide issue was always so exciting for that reason. And King added, yeah, I waited for that issue. It was a big deal. (laughs) I'm glad that we all were able to share this tweet together.
2: Um, Well, it's very true, though. I do remember, like, I never looked at TV shows as seasons back in the day. Mm. Like, you know, there was just just always a new episode of Full House on.
1: Yeah, like, I guess the the show that got me to start understanding what seasons were (laughs) or seasons are. was fall <laughs> and winter Street, and no, no, it's uh like x-files for sure yeah yeah you know mine was digimon oh wow yeah you, we, we, you you've hinted at your fandom for digimon in this uh podcast but never really digressed on it okay. well okay it's too
2: complicated you say <laughs> i tried to get her to do it once when i asked if pokemon and digimon were the same thing this is thing.
4: clearly not the episode to get into it given how much we have it's
2: not cover. we have a lot to cover uh yeah. all right uh, i'll jump in may 12th The amazing thing about the Andy Griffith show was the amusing Alky Otis. You never saw him puking blood in the gutter or tuning up on his poor wife. The subtext, drunks are funny, drunks are fun. And then he retweeted Charky, who commented, I never saw anything but white folks in that town. Don't think I'd want to go. Yeah, a little intense there. Yeah, like, hey, The King,
4: same thing about Maine as a state. <laughs> King
2: yeah, baring really his could. teeth at the Andy Griffith show a little
1: bit. Yeah, which, see, you know, it's about time, right? <laughs> Wasn't that like the 50s? Can yeah, we just let that like one that. slide? Let's just let it go. Um, For what it's worth,
2: drunks aren't funny and drunks aren't fun. It's true. They you can know. be
4: fun in spurts.
2: They can be fun in spurts. But, <laughs> but uh, never
4: a big picture.
2: No, uh, no. Mel, on May 13th, who did King retweet?
4: Uh, the Reverend Naomi King, his daughter. Ah,
2: I didn't know she was a Reverend.
4: May we work for peace and the opportunity for mothers everywhere to raise their families with love and hope. Hashtag Mother's Day.
1: That's nice. On May 14th, he tweeted, The 100 is back. And I didn't care because I don't watch The 100. For some reason, I keep thinking it's a show from like
2: 2001 or 2002. A show that was Well, you're probably confusing it with The 400, which was a show that was around back then. Yeah, yeah. I'm
4: confusing both with 300, the movie. Ah, I like that movie. Starring Dominic West.
2: Wait, wait, what is The 100? I have no clue. None of us know what this it's probably is. like. Bosch. No, it's it's it's
1: another <laughs> TV show, and that airs on the CW, which means that Stephen King is it's clearly he's the intended audience. Yeah, if it's yeah. on the
2: CW. Yeah, uh, May fifteenth, he retweeted his son Owen King. Owen wrote, I have a new story called Positive Comments. And if you are so inclined, you can download a copy of it right here. And King added, read it. It's good. Hey, your sons don't need the press. We do. Retweet us. Yes. What if he
4: was like, think you missed this one? <laughs> oh, and I think you yeah. missed it this time. <laughs> Keep trying, though. you. You know what's going
1: you know to be great is if, if you ever did retweet one of our episodes, it would be some innocuous episode. Like... <laughs> Part two of a four-part series, or something like that. Our know, second like, episode
2: on the Tommyknockers.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or like, and it's like there's a funny joke remember, in this.
2: I don't remember writing this book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Or these
2: kids.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, gosh. Oh, yeah, this is funny because he got in on a really cool internet trend that oh, was going boy. on for all yeah. the last week. I thought
2: we were past this. Nope. This Who wants to take? Now. You take it. Yeah. yeah. sixteenth.
4: <laughs> yeah, One tweet. It's Yanni. Later that day. Goddamn. Now I'm hearing Laurel. Even later that day. OMG, it doesn't say Laurel or Yanni. It's actually saying Trump, Trump,
2: uh, bear, Trump, bear, Trump. Bear, Trump. Siren alert. Uh, we broke the Trump rule.
1: Uh, yeah, but you know what? It's part of another, another tweet, bit? but it's also part of another bit that he's doing that is not very funny.
2: No, uh, the Laurel Yanni thing, did you guys actually like get in on it early? Did mm-hmm. you listen to yeah. it? You did? Mm-hmm. And what did you hear first?
4: I... Heard Laurel to such a degree that I thought anyone hearing Yanni needs to be institutionalized. And see, I then heard, I heard Yanni yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: a
4: little bit later. I,
1: I still have not heard Laurel, which means that it is Yanni um,
2: because, you know, clearly if I haven't heard Laurel, then nobody else has. So it's weird. I like I I saw everybody posting about it, but I didn't see. Am I crazy? Like I didn't see a link where I could listen to it. And by the time then I saw like, um I don't know. CNN or something posted a a thing about it where they pointed out the audio manipulation or whatever and like how it actually works and I saw that but I didn't actually hear the clip because I wasn't seeing a way to listen to it
1: well I just decided
2: to move on with my life (laughs) I spent hours trying to find a way to listen to it
1: it's 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 I was more fascinated (laughs) by the Bernstein Bears because that's something that I genuinely felt affected by whereas this these I feel like it's Every once in a while, what was that one thing? The that dress. Came out? the dress yeah. with yeah. like the blue, and then the people thought it was like blue or gold or something. Gold or something it was just insane. Um, anyway,
4: insane in a bad way. I love this stuff. I can't
1: stand insane it. it's in just the membrane proof
4: that no one knows what they're seeing or hearing at that's, any
1: time. So that which is kind of cool in a way. Symbol because, of our times. You know what really is here? Like this. You know, like this can of beer.
2: I'll tell you what. I can. I
1: mean, a bottle.
2: Molly, the thing of evil. There's nothing on that dog. King King posted a photo of her in a cage as a baby with ripped paper everywhere, and he tweeted, "Chapter one of Molly's origin story: learning to be evil." I love that dog. Adorable. I love it.
1: <laughs> and there's another dog I really like. Uh, if you follow on Instagram, Drewbert. Ooh, Drew Drewbert? uh, Drewbert's cute, but Drewbert's new sibling, uh-huh. Mona. Yeah. Uh, which um, is is, is it their newer dog. Is still a baby, but has the pudgy paws and is so cute. Is one of the cutest corgis I've ever seen. Uh, looks a little bit like Molly also. Uh, and if, there were, if Molly and uh, Mona were able to hang out, I think they would be pals. But that Mel, is my wish. Mel,
2: which uh, animal do you recommend people follow on social media?
4: Oh, I, oh, I, I follow kind of like catch-alls, you know, like... I, like cute emergency? Like, like rating. raiding, irate dogs. Irate dogs, that's oh, okay. good. There's yeah. a good like snake picture a called like Serpentis
2: or something. Ooh. Cute snakes. My favorite I need, snakes, I need to um, recommend. I need to recommend you're uh, wrong so a, a cat you should all follow. Sinbad the survivor, a Chicago cat, uh lived in a basement for like eight years, um, killing rats, and when they found it, it had fifteen pounds of trash attached to its body. And it's a beautiful little Siberian. But then this guy, the Anti-Cruelty Society, took him in. They were able to get all the trash off. And there's a photo of it. It's fucking heartbreaking. But they got all the trash off it. And then um, one of the people that worked at the Anti-Cruelty Society adopted uh, him and took him in. And now that cat is the happiest cat in the entire world. And it's But it's like such a grizzled it's like so grizzled. It's cute. It's kind of like a pug, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the this, the the Instagram account is Sinbad the Survivor, and the Sinbad content is off the charts. It's so good. I think I'll stick to Sinbad Houseguest. Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> okay, let's go. Oh, that anyway. is a great movie. Um, um, okay, let's move on. Right. Uh, May 16th. Mike, do you want to take this one?
1: Yeah. The Outsider is not a Hodges book.
2: It's a standalone. Interesting. Would you concur?
4: It certainly stands alone. It As does. someone who has not finished the Hodges trilogy, I read it with no issue.
2: Yeah, same with somebody who has read it. Uh, it does stand alone. But and I'm there go- are major, sp- I will say, I'll just say it for now, major spoilers for the Hodges trilogy, though. So if I've watched, like, first five episodes of Mr.
1: Mercedes, I'm pretty good in the clear. No. Um, all right. So May 19th, I'm going to read another one. Wow. And uh, no, I'm actually going to pass it over. This is a game of hot potato. Uh, Passing over to you, Mel. May 19th. Thanks,
4: Mike. So magnanimous of you. Uh, several people have asked me about the dedication at the end of Lori, the story I posted. Vixen was my wife's dog. We all loved her, but she was a one-woman corgi, a sweeter, gentler dog you'd never meet. She died early this spring. And there was a photo of Vixen the dog relaxing on dog bed. Hmm. Um, so he released a short story called Lori, which is about a dog. Um, and at the end, it said, "I think two vixen, yeah. with yeah. love or
2: something like Aww. that." Um, it's so sweet. Uh, we'll talk about the story at the end of the episode. And uh, but spoiler alert, I loved it. Wow. Um, let's 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 uh, let's move on. May twenty third. That's today. He uh, he quoted Linwood Barclay, one of his favorite people to retweet, and uh, he said, or Lin, Linwood Barclay said, "I was late finding Philip Roth. Picked up the plot against America twelve years ago. Wow. Then I read everything. American Pastoral may be the best novel I've ever read." And King added, "I second that. Amazing book." Yeah, Philip Roth
1: passed yesterday. Uh, Justin Gerber is a huge Philip Roth fan. So is Dan Rothhead. Caffrey. He's a Roth
2: head. Mm-hmm. What do you about? What, what, do you like Philip Roth? I haven't read any Philip Roth. I haven't either. I haven't either. Plan to. No. Uh, too busy reading King. Yeah, exactly. But this, this is a King podcast, not a, a Roth podcast.
4: Sad moment for Roth fans, though. I'm, I'm not trying to. Yeah, yeah. and I will say, here. unless he like sucked in other ways, highly possible. I don't know. He wrote about Dick a lot.
2: I don't think so. I, th- I feel like it's all good. Good press on Philip Roth online. I, read, um, I think I'd write about Dix a lot also, um, but, uh, I will say I, I haven't read any of his books, but I own a couple and I want to read them, but I read what he said about Donald Trump, uh, when he, cause the war, what is that book called? Sorry. The, uh, the one that Lynn was talking about, the plot against America mm-hmm. is actually has shades of like, you know, the situation on. we're in now. And when they asked Philip Roth about that, he had a really amazing quote about, um, the plot of that book versus what's happening in real life and how what's happening in our world is actually worse. So um, let's move on. Well, we got one last tweet.
4: Yeah, one last retweet from today. About eight hours ago, he retweeted to Nanareve Do who said NFL players are already paying a bigger price for kneeling in protest than most cops do for killing unarmed black brown men, women, and children. Um, I agree. We don't have to get into that now. But I do want to plug Tananarive to Du in general. She's an amazing black author of horror, and you should definitely read one of her first books called The Between.
2: Wait, let me see. How do you spell the last name? D-U-E. D-U-E? Awesome. Yeah, uh, that's a recommendation. And she mm.
4: also hosts a horror class on, like, Afrofuturism and horror... Jordan Peele has, like, contributed to the class and, like, talked to the kids. Oh, really?
2: Oh, I, yes. Okay. I've actually written about this. Um, I wrote about when he showed up in her class yeah, for the AV club. Awesome. And it was really cool. Because he, like, sat in the... They watched, like, a clip from Get Out, and then Peele was, like, in the class with a hoodie on. And then after they watched the clip, and everybody was going nuts, like, he stood up and then took pulled the hood down. Everybody was like, whoa! It was super cool. It was, like, right after the movie came out, too. Well, be sure to add uh, that recommendation to your Mel's mix. Well, um... it's... <laughs> Well, speaking of Jordan Peele, he's the talk of Hollywood right now. But you know who else is also the talk of Hollywood? Stephen King. Oh, yeah. So it's time to rev up the Corvette. It's time to put the top down and get on the 405 because we're going to Hollywood, baby.
3: There's a town on the coast of Del Sol, always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul, always find my way there.
2: Ooh, drop those shades because uh, it's not it's bright in here because we're in a podcast studio. We're not, but <laughs> we're not on got, Sunset Boulevard. But the sun is shining on so much King news. We've got film news. We've got book news. We've got uh, more film news. I there's think there's some TV stuff. There's some TV stuff going on here. This
1: this might be the biggest Needful tweets
2: slash Hollywood King slash Ooh. special so if you edition. I were wondering
4: why we were racing through. Those yeah. Streets.
2: Well, I just think it's wild. Like we, I think we always feel sometimes we're like we're like well. We're We're probably going to run out of news at some point. No. It's like, it's it's just happening, man. It's the news. It's the news. And it just, it's, yeah.
1: Well, as Tom Holland said in our interview from last week, we talked about Thinner and a little bit of the Langoliers, although he wants to come back. To talk about that uh, that story, yes. Tom. He uh, basically discussed how he's uh, he's been doing this long enough to see the ebbs and flows of uh, Stephen King. He comes and goes. He basically said this is arguably one of the biggest times for him, yeah, because he feels that horror has like finally really hit the mainstream and that it was a big part of that. So yeah, we're enjoying that and we're we're gonna capitalize on this energy. Let's so, do
2: it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a sign of the times that um, horror is being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes with an award that was given to Stephen King, the Penn Award. On Tuesday night, Morgan Freeman, star of the Shawshank Redemption, presented the Literary Service Award to King at Penn America's Literary Gala, which was held at at New York City's Museum of Natural History. And there's a video of the whole thing. You can see King's accepted speech, and he also uh, blasted Trump a little bit.
1: He was with good friends, though. Malcolm Gladwell, Carl Bernstein, Robert Caro, Mona Simpson... Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Whoa! Good now, good what's what's crazy is that the dinner that they had this in was held in the very room that terrified me as a young kid. It's this room where they they have like a bunch of different random things all like basically coddled together, but at the very top of the room in the ceiling is this giant blue whale.
4: Oh yeah, the diorama room. And
1: it, as a kid, that scared the hell out of me. Like yeah. it was just mm-hmm. so big that I just was like. All three of us in
4: this room have megalophobia. I think we've talked about it. Yes, it's true. So what is what's that? Like you get you feel very afraid of things that dwarf you. Yes. Yeah. Um, There's a terrifying diorama in that room. The sperm whale fighting the giant squid. It's like the really dark one. You have to get up really close to it. And kind of, it's like a window into this, like, deep sea battle. Ooh, interesting. And, like, you, you can't see a lot of it. And then it kind of, you make it, as your eyes adjust, you make it out. And it's, like, just really a cre- segment of the whale with, like, the squid in its mouth. It's terrifying. Oh,
2: creepy. Uh, and the squid and the whale. Noah Baumbach's movie. Well, hey. It's a
1: scene from that film.
2: Baumbach wasn't there. But. <laughs> Wait, so has Michael Douglas or Catherine Zeta-Jones ever been in a Stephen King property? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think so.
1: But. They appreciated his speech and, uh, (laughs) you know, King had uh, said, too many of those are currently in possession of power. Their poverty of thought best expressed in that intellectual dead zone known as Twitter, where clear thinking and kindness is too often replaced by schoolyard taunts, not to mention bad spelling and bad grammar. Clearly, he's talking about Trump. It was very, you know, a subtle way of bringing him up. I mean, Um,
4: also, Twitter is a dumpster fire. It is.
2: It's awful. Also, dead zone. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice little Not uh, Kings, Dominion a King's, <laughs> Kings Dominion in a King speech. Kings Dominion. We're happy for Cy King uh, to get that award. He deserves it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's some blowhards that are whining about it on Twitter or something, just like they did when he won the National Book Award. Uh, so screw you. He's great. Hey, uh, speaking of blowhards, uh, you got to go check out this CBS this morning clip in
1: which uh, King is promoting The Outsider. Uh, are you po- calling him a blowhard? No, 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 not him. I'm talking about the host there. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, what's the process for a writer like? <laughs> um, like the dumbest questions you could possibly ask. And here are these assholes get interviews with Stephen King, and we would ask him the real the real questions. Huh, where do you get your ideas? That would be the first question we'd lead off with, obviously. No, um, no, we wouldn't. We'd just
4: be like, uh... <laughs> Anyways, well, he's, he's
1: been in, he's been he's been around he uh, always this gives, week because he always he's gives got good the, answers though. Well, with the outsider in stores now,
4: he's he actually gives making some the appearances.
2: Same answers. Well, yeah. you watch like. <laughs> Well, when you get, yeah, I think it's probably like, you know, Crispin Glover, the actor, he, uh, whenever he does interviews, he actually writes all of, he writes like every conceivable interview question he can think of down and memorizes the answers to them because he never wants to be taken out of context. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find that really intense and scary, but also kind of smart. But I feel like when you get asked the same question over and over again, it's like, well, what else can you do? Yeah, I know. Well, it's just, that's why St. Vincent last year for her album, Mass Seduction,
1: she basically just recorded with Carrie Brownstein helping her out with some of the, the written responses. Oh, really? To like every general question that all the reporters always ask her. So which was kind of funny. So, so she, she just, would just
2: hold up a tape recorder and hit play?
1: Well, she just sent out like a press kit with all the video and all. You know, they made like a short film. It was, it was pretty cool. That is very smart. I love though. Annie Clark.
2: Well, let's talk about some, um, let's not talk about casting news just yet. Let's talk about a new novel that might be on the way mm, yeah. um, from King's Message Board. Since he finished *The Outsider*, which was already in production behind the scenes when *Sleeping Beauties* came out, Steven has written another book and a few short stories slash novellas. One of which, *Elevation*, will be released in November. Ooh. and el- yes, *An Elevation* is a novella, mm-hmm. from what I can gather. Yeah. So, which means that he has another book. It's wild. It's wild.
4: Can't stop. Like literally, can't stop. Can't. Won't stop.
1: Yeah. I he wonder. Tried. I kind of do wish that he would just <laughs> throw a bone and just give us like. A book that's, I know that he did Gwendy's Button Box last year, but just I kind of want another like old school Stephen King story. I was thinking about it today. Like it would have been awesome to, you know, been around or at least cognizant of all these books or old enough to be able to enjoy them because I was like in, you know, four or five years old and these books were being rolled out. But I kind of just want to have that experience of knowing like a new big Castle Rock book coming out. You know? So, yeah, I
2: was going to say, like, what defines like old Stephen King for you? I think I
1: guess it's got to be Castle Rock then.
2: Yeah.
4: No, some of your favorites aren't set there.
2: They aren't. But
1: it's I just I can't imagine. I guess the last one that felt like an old school Stephen King, because I love 112263. I don't feel like that that's no. very old school. That's a very modern one. Under the
2: Dome, I Under guess. Under the Dome, point, definitely. You know, that's old school. That's why I yeah. love that book, because it's I feel like Joyland. Uh, well, that's not old Stephen King, though. Is yeah, he? that's like more of like that's more to him be, like, easing detective. into crime. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like which is where he's like so comfortable right now. Well, I don't know if he's comfortable there. We'll talk about that later with Outsider, but he's so into sort of the crime, the pulpy crime yeah. world, with weaving in supernatural supernatural elements into that. And I think, I think when you say kind of old King, I think it's more just like balls to the wall horror. Yeah, you know? or something that has like you know a tangible hook,
1: like you know even Cell, like obviously yeah. that book fails big time, but. It's one of those old school, like when that book came out, I was like, okay, this is like an old school Stephen King book.
2: Yeah. But like under the dome, like just in terms of building a great, crazy, diverse ensemble Mm -hmm. and then just inflicting absolute fucking terror upon them, man, I love that book. And I hate
1: that series. hated that series. Even if it has my uh, favorite Twitter user, Dean (laughs) Norris.
2: Let's talk about Dean Norris really yeah, quick. Yeah. I Very guess needful
4: tweet. I guess
2: it's a, a king adjacent uh, because he was in Under the Dome, so we get a chance to talk about it. Last night, Dean Norris tweeted out sex gifts. Um,
4: <laughs> the, that's... the text phrase.
2: <laughs> that's 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 it.
4: It he says. didn't tweet actual gifts, he tweeted
2: <laughs> the words. And the sex best, gifts. the best part of it is that it's it's stayed up. Like he yeah. never deleted it. Is it still there right um, now? I'm gonna look it up. But uh,
1: that's great, though. I mean, it's you wouldn't expect Hank from Breaking Bad to just toss this out there, but yeah. you know, love him. Well, I, I,
4: Fun. love All it. Right, let's talk about forthcoming property. <laughs> it's still there. It's still <laughs> there. Still there. Oh As of god.
2: Wednesday at 8:42 oh p.m., Sex incredible. Gifts is still there. It's yeah. been there for 20 hours. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, we got, we got yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff so to talk about. So let's talk
4: about, about Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Netflix is heading into the tall grass. They've closed a deal for In the Tall Grass by Stephen King and Joe Hill. James Marsden is in negotiations to star and Vincenzo Natale is adapting to direct. The film will begin production this summer in Toronto. It'll be produced by Splice's Steve Hoban, Jimmy Miller at Mosaic, and M. Riley. Yeah,
2: Have you this read the story? Uh, I, I know the story. Um, I've read it. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's really scary. I Mm -hmm. haven't
4: read it. Wait, where is it?
2: It's um, it's it, him and Joe Hill just released a couple novellas like as Kindle singles, oh. so you can get it online for like a dollars ninety nine, two ninety nine, maybe. They previewed this in an Entertainment Weekly,
1: episode, yeah. Like when it first came out, I if you're if you want some old King, like that's that, a good one, yeah. And it Thomas well. Jane wanted to do it. Oh, really? Because when he talked to us last fall, that's one of the ones oh, that he was right. like hoping to adapt
2: because he thinks it just it's such a perfect idea can you for tell a movie. Tell me what it's
4: about without spoiling it.
2: Yeah, it's I mean it's the actually very Twilight Zone-y. Yeah, it's 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 one of those high concept ones. Where you can describe it really easily. It's basically just, it, it has uh, children of the corn vibes too. It's basically a, a couple driving down a highway, or maybe it's a brother, or sister, I can't remember. But, uh, they I think hear, it's a brother and sister. Actually, yeah, yeah, they hear a, a, a little boy screaming from like the grass. Which is very tall, as the uh, as the title implies, and then they go in to look for the boy, and then suddenly they can't find their way out. And we're just going to leave it. it at that. It's very simple. It's very dark mm-hmm. and um, really bleak, yeah. and just kind of terrifying. So I'm in, I'm interested to see what Vincenzo Natali does. He did Cube. Um, I
4: love Cube. Yeah, yes. it's
2: kind of a perfect, it's
1: the perfect director for
2: this. Yeah, and he also did so. Splice, which obviously some of the producers are coming back. Splice was a neat little alien movie. I, I enjoyed Splice. Yeah, no, I didn't love it. But no, I didn't love it. it. But Cube, though, I think he'll always have goodwill because of that. It's mm-hmm. such a, a high concept, really kind of delightfully earnest. Um, a great, like a great movie. 90s rental. Yeah.
4: yeah. Um, super problematic. Now, but uh still fun.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I'm. I think that that's a good pairing, and I love James Marsden being in it because what can I say? I'm a Mars head. You like Mars? I love Mars. He's great on Westworld. Hey, Mission to Mars. Um,
4: <laughs> hey. Hey, we, hey, 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 hey! <laughs> we got we got
1: we got some more uh, casting news. What? Uh, yeah, let's do let's, let's talk do about one it. casting. we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do split do, this up a we'll little split bit. split this up. All right, I'm going to do this Why one would because. You split it up? Because it'll be fun. Just you know because <laughs> it'll be fun. We're gonna have some fun with this. As you know by now, because we've shared it on our socials, the great John Lithgow has been cast as Judd Crandall. Now, I think that's good it's casting. It's great casting. It's not David Lynch as that's I wanted. That's
4: good casting. That's good casting.
1: <laughs> it's uh you know, it's not Keith Carradine, it's Mary or Lambert. Is it Michael Kane. It's not Michael Kane Um <laughs> But here's something interesting. In addition to this casting, because we've only had Jason Clark and uh, John Lithgow, like uh, yeah, is, you know, as part of this, still don't have Rachel. We still don't have uh,
2: you dropped Carrie Russell for Rachel, and for like weeks, I thought that was true. I
1: I like it as because I, I like, think she would be well, amazing. I, I, also, I, I, I'm
2: just watching The Americans right now, so.
1: but I also like Michelle Monaghan as this. So either one would be amazing, but you know, whatever. Dead Central talked to screenwriter Jeff Bueller. Uh, and he said, when we first started our conversations, Dennis and Kevin, who are the directors, and I really connected around the idea of bringing the story back to the source material to find a modern telling of the book that really spoke to some of the big scenes and big moments of the St- that Stephen King had originally written. All of that feels so poignant and universal. It's our desire to really reconnect to those elements of the story and bring them into a world that speaks to the modern horror audience. It's kind of repeating himself there. But yeah. uh, there may be Victor. There may be some Zelda. And there will definitely be some Lewis." and Rachel and Gage and Ellie no, shit. Wow. This, okay. statement sucks. this is a dumb <laughs> statement but I will say this if you love the book you'll love this movie Dennis and Kevin are both such visionaries in terms of how they approached it from not only ah, whatever this is such a bullshit let's break this quote. down a little bit no that's not this no, is a I, bullshit I do quote a close I'm reading. sorry I
2: copied and pasted <laughs> it it is no, no. Let's just like so. They say we really connect around the idea of bringing the story back to the source material. felt so. Bo- I'm just like, where, where were they? But what did they need to bring it back from? Yeah, because de- uh, Mary Lambert's is is very, very close, very close to the source material, it's very close. Uh, and so I guess I'm just. No, Wait,
4: Not in vibe, though. Not in tone. You don't think so? No. I've always said that we should go bleak as heck, and she went really campy, which is fine. It's a so, fine choice. Uh, that movie's fun. That's I true.
1: I don't see it as campy, though, so... Well,
2: I think it, I think it rides
1: a line. Well, you along. know the
4: scene that it's missing that, that we all were gaga about during the episode was uh, the disinterring of Gage. Yes. Mm. Going to get Gage, the it's body. True. Um, that is true. I think yeah. the
2: movie... I think... I think the movie does capture some of the dread and some of the darkness, but there is a lot of camp in that movie only because that was really the style of the time and you couldn't break from it too much. I'm not knocking
0: it. No, no, it's,
2: it's good. You know, it just as long as you you prefer two. You prefer Pet Cemetery too.
4: Yeah, because it fully commits to the camp.
2: (laughs) Hey, as long as we get Victor
1: Pascal cracking jokes, I'm all good. Well,
2: they say there may be Victor.
1: Well, Well, anyway. There also may be Rachel and Gage, two crucial characters. Well, let
2: me just, like, so we're bringing it back to the source material. It just makes me wonder, was there, like, some very different, very modernized update or something? There could have been a script that they were looking around at. I don't
4: know. Well, he's saying he wants to bring it. To so that it speaks to the modern horror audience. Mm, I don't Back like to that. the source material, also to the modern horror. When I audience.
2: hear modern horror Mod- audience, I think CGI, which is very bad. I think I'm morons.
4: That cat's going to be all CGI. <laughs> when, I,
1: when I hear the words modern and audience, I just think two words: fucking moron. Oh. Um, which is literally what most of the time says the guy who loves Solo. I love Solo. Hey, what can I say? Hey, you want to go fly high into the galaxy <laughs> far, far away? <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
4: He's going to be uh, at it for about five minutes, so we're just going to cut out for a little while. Hey, and
1: speak of the devil, actually. If you really want to know more about that same galaxy that's far, far away, stick around or seek out State of the Empire. (laughs)
2: It's not playing right after this. It's not playing right after (laughs) this, but you can
1: seek it out. It's uh, Nerdy Show's State of the Empire, which uh, features... Cap Blackard, yeah, great our, podcast. Yeah, uh, consequence podcast network director.
2: All yeah. the all the Star Wars news you need, reviews, all the cool stuff. You were on there talking about Solo, yeah. We were uh, Mac and I were very so. cool. Mac and me, Mac and me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I guess I'm just. I'm This statement is so boilerplate and so bizarre like it, it sounds like they have no idea what the movie is because it's so it's so base and then mm-hmm. also they say there may be Victor there may be some Zelda and there will definitely be some Lewis and Rachel those are the main characters but then Zelda though it's like I I don't want a version of Pet Cemetery without Zelda. It will make me angry. No,
1: they're all going to be in there. But they this say is there just, may be some just, like, You know what this quote is? This quote is literally just, we're too fucking early in the production right now for me to leak anything. <laughs> I thought they
2: were shooting this summer.
1: They are going to shoot this summer, but like it's just so early that they don't want to leak anything, so they have to give this generic bullshit answer. He shouldn't even be on press right now.
2: Well, should be I, locked up. well I, I don't know. I mean, I still I still feel I, I, I'm, I feel confident in the directors and I feel confident in the cast. And I think to bring it back around, John Lithgow to me is it's great, is amazing casting because I I mean, you know, how do you top Fred Gwynn? He's so perfect. Yeah. It's like literally the most perfect casting you could ever ask mm-hmm. for. So not only do you need somebody that can, I don't know, like do that, but also somebody who is as flexible and as, you know, I mean, at this point, that's the thing is, if you really look at John Lithgow's career and you go- look at IMDb, especially his early, career. I know, go back to because yeah. most people don't even know the shit he was doing back yeah. in the day.
1: I hope that we get a World According to Garp era uh, John Lithgow here.
4: He's a Churchill in the Crown, right? Yeah, but so like I have this picture of him as like this like kind of big guy like in a bathtub. Like <laughs> is, I picture Judd is like very
2: tall, like very imposing. <laughs> well, yeah, and um. I mean, like, what's, wait, what's the John Travolta, um... Uh, Brian De Palma movie Breakdown What is that?
4: Oh Point Break
2: No, no. I love that movie um, Point Break. Are wait, you thinking no. of Footloose? No. no
4: I know what he's thinking
2: of. <laughs> I know I can't remember the name of it right Oh now. I know um, It's uh, Blowout Blowout Out. That's yeah. it Like Lithgow's incredible In that yeah. movie And he's like super scary And yeah. that's the thing Is he can be You're He was can scary be on very Dexter. scary Yeah A show that's not scary Exactly He was the He was the best part Of any season of Dexter Don't at me Um, Let's move on I'm getting all worked up And I'm sweaty for some reason I'm going Hey do you, uh, do you smell all that some oh i do and it's not delicious yeah it's a little gingerbread
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was like who's
2: gonna say who's gonna say the punch so excited stephen king's the gingerbread girl has been optioned by u.s production and distribution outfit brainstorm media uh they probably brainstormed the idea of (laughs) (laughs) i like brain scan with, uh, my favorite Man is a great movie. Fun movie, uh, Eddie Furlong. Uh, for some reason, I'm just thinking of Lawnmower Man. Yeah, um, it's very similar, actually. Which plans to distribute the film in North America, reports deadline out of Cannes. Frequent Stephen King collaborator Craig R. Baxley will direct the film from a screenplay written by both King and Baxley. Mitchell Gallin will produce casting is currently underway i'm gonna look up who i'm looking up what this Baxley character worked on with king well i'm gonna read this we're gonna read this you read this go for
1: it
4: the story focuses on emily a woman recovering from a recent loss in a secluded house in the loneliest stretch of new england she avoids contact with her husband and her father and channels her grief into a grueling daily running regimen this is doing her all kinds of good until one day she makes the mistake of looking into the driveway of a man named pickering Pickering also enjoys privacy, but the young women he brings to his home suffer the consequences of knowing him. The tension hinges on whether M will be next.
1: Sounds a little bit like Gerald's game. Ah. Like being trapped in a... It sounds like she's going to get trapped.
4: So... I feel like it's more like... (laughs)
1: It sounds like she's gonna get more trapped.
4: like Rear Window, right? Like she- yeah, I guess it
1: would be more like Rear Window. Yeah, yeah.
4: Or hard candy or whatever.
1: Ooh, hard candy. That's a that's a tough movie. I, I
4: like the hard,
2: I like hard candy. I want to see it. Mm. You haven't seen that?
4: No, but I know what it's about.
2: Um, okay, let's talk about Craig R. Baxley for a little bit. This mm-hmm. is gonna be the Bax. this is gonna be a wild one. Uh, he started out directing episodes of the A Team. Uh, his his directorial debut feature was Action Jackson, starring, I believe, um, Apollo Creed. So we've got a B-movie king over here. Yeah. And then a lot of B-movies, like stuff you will not believe. And then I'm going to get to the king stuff. Um, oh, and the thing is, he also directed uh, – because I, I have a – it's not really a soft spot – but um, since I used to be super Christian, I've watched like the Left Behind movies with oh, Kirk Cameron like a hundred times. I, he did the third one, which nobody saw. Like, like I had to seek that shit out. Um and it but it also starred Louis Gossett Jr. So you can't say that there wasn't at least some talent there. Hey, love Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, uh, going to be on Watchmen. He's going to be HBO. on Watchmen. How exciting! Yeah. Well, his first foray into King, it looks like. It, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but uh, 1999 Storm of the Century he directed, oh. which is not bad. Yeah. Um, Colin Firth gives a great performance, but then in 2002 he directed Rose Red. Oh no, which is. <laughs> Garbage. Yeah, yeah. You, had, um, you had to
1: actually write that up for the uh, Stephen. King. I did, did revisiting
2: it was not fun. No. Um, but then he also worked on. He directed thirteen episodes of Kingdom Hospital.
1: Oh, and I almost made that joke about Kingdom Hospital, when you were saying that you work at an animal hospital.
2: Good callback, Mike. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not that bad. was his last collaboration with King was Kingdom Hospital. Since then, he he's done a few TV movies, and he's directed on a couple series, including Leverage, Harper's Island. It doesn't look like he's done much since 2011, He, but then Gingerbread Girl is listed as being in production. So we'll see how that one turns out. Yeah, maybe uh, it'll hit
1: Netflix. <laughs> so we got, speaking of a film that's definitely going to make theaters. Uh, Mike Flanagan's definitely
4: going to make the theaters. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's definitely going to make it into theaters. Uh, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, the much anticipated Shining sequel <laughs> that literally everyone on this podcast can't stand the book Clamoring and but a, our, for it. but a lot of our listeners like
2: it and they I'm do. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, well, hey, you know,
1: I got to I got to read it so I'm going to revisit it, it. Yeah. You have to, yeah, okay. Well, it has a release date and it's coming out January 24th, 2020. And the good news is is that Flanagan is definitely rewriting the screenplay that was originally written by Akiva Goldsman. And I do realize that I typed originally written by Mike <laughs> Flanagan on there, which was a 40 and slip. But, but that's uh, good to know. That's good to know, because as we know... I like know, Mike
2: Flanagan as a writer. Who do you not like, though? Uh, uh, Hollywood hack Akiva Goldman. That's right. Uh, We we do not refer to him as anything but that. So when you initially said his name, I was like, wait, who?
0: Because
2: he has a four named name. Well, he came back big time last year with Dark Tower. So um, (laughs) (laughs) we
4: had that big argument the last time we talked about this adaptation as to whether it's going to be a sequel to the movie or the book. And I still stand strongly by it's going to be a sequel to the book. He's going to adapt the book, Dr. Sleep.
1: Even after Ready Player One, you think it's going to you
2: think they're not going to mind that property? Like, it's, it's I do I think, think it'll that. I think it'll ride a line because I, I interviewed Flanagan for this very podcast because uh, he did Gerald's Game, which I loved. And no talking to him. He's a huge King fan, mm-hmm. like really, really diehard. And yeah. like his bona fides are true. And I can very much see him, you know, when I talked to him about Gerald's Game, you know, one of the things he said to me was, I'm trying to tell the story that Stephen King wrote. Oh, I know. So <laughs> that was. <laughs> that's that's one of the problems with this movie. Michael, I'll bet um, you
4: money that it's not a sequel to the movie.
1: I am. I'm willing to bet. What can I bet here? Let's leave it to the listeners to decide what. Yeah. I'm what, are, what, sp- what are what are we going to put on the line? What here? should we put on the line here? Tell us uh, in Neither the. Neither of us intend
4: to have children, so it can't yeah. be a firstborn child. Can't be
1: a firstborn child because
2: uh, that's not happening. Um, well, I'll just say that I think that there is a very good chance, though, that they will be incorporating aspects of the of the film because I think the film you might is be so right iconic. Where it's it's going to be mixed, but, but knowing you know. Flanagan, I, and I feel like Akiva Goldsman is probably like his version is probably some you know lunatic fucking piece of trash that, like... Is sequelizing the the movie. Well, that that makes Danny, like, some... Like, takes the shining and turns it into some magical beam shooting through his fucking (laughs) eyes or something. Do you think
1: in his draft it's so, like, clumsy that, like, at at one point he just references, like, and then Jack Nicholson walked out (laughs) instead of Jack Torrance?
4: (laughs) When it says he's rewriting Akiva's draft, forgive me, I don't know much about the process, does that mean... He has to keep some of it. I
1: don't think so, no. But I think for the most part, he's gonna like like I know. hope so.
4: Cause this is my argument, is that Mike Flanagan is gonna make it a sequel to the book. So I, I don't guarantee think it's be, might well, very well try to do everything he can with See, the it. problem
1: is is that yeah, was, you have to sorry. assume that the you know, look, first off, Warner Brothers is doing this. They have the right to the shining. Yeah. It is absolutely going to sure. be using like The font, the the style, like I like I've said already, the teaser trailer is literally going to be the pattern of the of the carpet. We have to bet the idea, the idea of this being a sequel to a book that most people have not read at the time when everyone's so worried about taking you know gambles and risks with money in Hollywood, like they would be insane to not sequelize the
4: shining. To completely admit I'm wrong if that happens, but I am so confident. Well, I'll just say
2: that. I know Mike Flanagan has probably read The Shining and Doctor Sleep probably several times, yeah. and I can guarantee you that Akiva Goldsman has never read a book in his life. <laughs> hey, so um, let's move on. Let's let's the, talk about big, a, the, the, biggest, let's, the biggest news. Biggest news here. Like,
4: blueberries for sale. <laughs> <laughs> he, he
2: probably read uh, If You Give
1: a Mouse a Cookie? That's a good book.
4: <laughs> that book is about him.
1: Hey, you know what? Uh, I will say that, I that is even true. Know but. him. <laughs> But I will say if uh, if if he had some kids and you know I was invited over to his house for their birthday party, I would bring them a book, uh, the true story of. Oh three yes, little you love to
2: give children that you don't know books. That's a great
1: bit, sneaky like, cheese yeah. man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. This is the the talk of the hour. We we wanted to f- wait till the last minute because we were hoping that one more piece of casting would be announced. Randall. Do you see anything on on Twitter? I'm, I'm is literally there, looking
2: it up right now. Is there now. anything
1: out there that confirms this last piece of casting to complete our titular?
2: No, all I'm club. seeing is is who is playing Mike Hamlin uh, on Twitter. So Okay, it has well as you know
1: out. from the name Mike Hamlin, we're talking about it.
2: Yes. So, but we will say that this episode is going to drop on Friday. We're recording it Wednesday night. I think there is a 96% chance that they will reveal we'll who is will tack on one mic. person
4: just yelling, like, it's so-and-so.
2: <laughs> we could just make a guess and be like, God, it's crazy that they cast so-and-so. Like, and just hope that that comes true. Um, no. Let's run through the cast, because we have everyone except for Mike Hanlon.
1: Uh, as you know from uh, the story we broke last week. Yes, we broke that shit. James Ranson. Is it James Ranson? I think it's—I always say Ranson. Ransone. James Ranson. James is playing Eddie Casprack Great
2: casting. Great casting. He looks just like him. Looks just like but him. But also, he's a great actor. Wasn't even on my radar. Not at all. No. I don't
4: know who that is.
2: Uh, have you watched The Wire?
4: Yeah, season one and two. Yeah, he, well, then you would know. Ziggy him. on season two. Oh, mm-hmm. right. We've talked at length about how I hate Ziggy. <laughs> <like him. laughs> well, then
1: you're going to love Eddie. No, I don't think the um, actor is bad. I just yeah. don't like the character. No, he's a, he's yeah. a great actor. Uh, played a wonderful villain in Ty West in the Valley of Violence.
2: Yes, and he also uh, was the lead in Sinister 2. Which was I reviewed for this very site. I didn't love the movie, but I thought he was great. He's and like he's, a cop in it, right? Yeah, he, well, he's in the, he's first, the first one. Yeah, yeah, he's in the first one in a minor role, and then he's the lead of the second one. So let's just say the ghost follows him, I guess. <laughs> uh. But I'm a huge James James Ransom fan. I think his, he's, he reminds me – this is the second time I'm mentioning him. Uh, he reminds me of Crispin Glover in some ways yeah. because he has a very exaggerated, um, over-the-top style that kind of veers wildly uh, between moments where you're like, wow, he's a shitty actor. But it's more that – but then he'll like ease into something where he's – he's showing such subtlety and nuance that you can't believe it's the same actor. But I kind of love that. There's like, there's sort of a live wire quality to him. He's like, you know, and uh, having read a lot about him, there's a great, uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was Grantland at the time or if it was The Ringer by then. But w- around the time Sinister 2 came out, they did a profile on him. And it really revealed a lot of cool shit about yeah. his past and his, um and the stuff that he was, you know, kind of filtering into his performances. He's got like a lot of darkness. And I think he'll be really great He's not who I thought, because he usually plays kind of scummy characters. Yeah, And Eddie, obviously, you know, of course, you think of um, of uh, the guy from the miniseries from the 90s who they cast like the dweebiest looking guy possible. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah. Adult. I mean, I but was it sounds
4: like he can play like cowed.
2: Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. And but it's it's, you know, I think it'll be an interesting I don't think they're going to go like the dweeb route with adult Eddie and they didn't go that route. With the in the movie, no, um, Eddie was kind of a foul mouth kid, which they didn't do in the miniseries.
1: No, I, I'm actually really, really excited for this um, because, yeah, he he does have this quality to be so frustrated and so like mm-hmm. agitated and so like impatient. Yeah, which is exactly what uh, the Eddie in the 2017 film was yeah. like, and and everyone keeps stressing about. Oh my God, everyone looks exactly how they do as a kid. I think they're going to be doing a lot of camera tricks with this sure. in the movie where it's going to either be a lot of flashbacks because we already know that the original cast is coming back. So I think that there's going to be maybe some weird things that like even Pennywise does to like kind of make it seem like as if they're they see their reflections or mm-hmm. they see like maybe other cast members see their younger selves like or their friends as younger selves also yeah. or something like or that
4: doing fast cuts in between back yeah. and forth yeah
1: exactly and like i so I that's kind it. of cool like i, I really like that a lot and eddie was one of my favorite characters jack dylan Grazer. it was so funny and great movie. young
2: actor yeah he's uh, he was also the lead on a sitcom that i thought got canceled prematurely Oh, it was called that? "Me, Myself, and I." It was on NBC. Oh. I was reviewing it for A B Club, oh, which is uh, why I was mad it got canceled. I was going to say I was losing a paycheck. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. But no, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, so, and then as Stan, we've got uh, a guy that I'm not familiar with, Andy oh. Bean. Yeah, but he looks and, just like uh, Wyatt Olaf, who played him yeah? in the 2017. Ones. It's funny. I saw two different photos of Andy Bean. One where he looked kind of you know like a normal adult, and then one where he was like ultra hunky. Yeah, like tatted up, <laughs> like super hot. So good for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been in a uh, he's been in a few movies. He was in Here and Now. Uh, he was in uh, that show
2: Power, uh, where he played Greg. Wait, Here and Now is that the one with like Thor Birch from the '90s? <laughs> no, no, this is from uh, this year actually. It's uh, the TV
1: show Here and Now, oh. which is that show that you didn't like. Uh, you said that was just insufferable.
2: Wait, is it? Yeah, it's the one with Tim Robbins. Oh yes. Wait. Oh shit. He's on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I I watched that entire season and didn't yeah. know the title
1: of it. <laughs> he was also in uh Transformers the last night, which was not a good movie. He I plays saw that just as a lawyer. Well. So they really are going with a lot of unknowns in this. Like I mean, look, like I mean, you know, which is it's awesome. It's a mix though. As, yeah. as you'll
4: as we'll see. Well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of like That's James That's what I'm saying. It's not a not a human.
2: It's not all of them, but like yeah. the ones that like I mean, I guess you could say James Ransom's an unknown
1: for the most I know for who most he people is because yeah. I'm
2: a I, you know, I, I watch stupid shit. I think right? anyone who loves The Wire knows him. Like yes. most of the
1: comments I saw on
2: Twitter and on
1: Facebook were just like, oh, God, I love him in The Ziggy. Wire, you know. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. He's worked with he's worked with David Simon on a lot of his shows. Um, He was on Generation Kill. He was one of the leads mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Which is a great miniseries. And he was also in Treme. He played um Kim Dickens' chef friend in New York.
1: Love Kim Dickens. Let's go to the real no name, though. Who's playing Ben?
2: ben. Jay Ryan. Yeah. I had to Google who he was on Top of the Lake, which I've watched, and he was good on Top of the mm-hmm. Lake, but I don't remember much. I didn't... Like, the first season was good. I, I like the second season a lot more of that show. Do you know Top of the Lake at all? I do. Don't
4: spoil it, because I still have to...
2: Okay, I won't it. spoil it, but I'll just say that he's in the first season, and... He's very striking. Like he's, I can see why he's getting a lot of work. He's very, very striking to look at. And when I looked at his resume, he's done a shitload of stuff in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, he did Neighbors, which
1: is their huge show over there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then he, um, but he's just starting to kind of break into acting over here, but I don't know. I was looking over his IMDB a little bit and there was talk of like back in 2003, he did like a one man show where he played eight characters and it got like really great reviews. And I'm like, well, maybe this guy's like really legit. And
4: Ben is supposed to grow up to be like hot as fuck.
2: John Ritter hot. Nobody's John Ritter hot. John Ritter he John Ritter played Ben. He, and,
0: did.
2: he uh, did. I actually don't love him in the miniseries, but yeah, I don't think he's that hot. I think he's very hot. I think he's pretty hot in Problem Child too. <laughs> um, not the first.
1: Not one. the first or the third <laughs> one. Uh, I would say that uh, you know one another big role uh, for um, for J Ryan was the lead role. Beauty and the Beast for CW for four years. He played Vincent Keller.
2: That's wild. I've I never watched that show. Never did either. But um, that was kind of like during the era where they were rebooting all these monster movies and making the monsters really hot. mm -hmm. Like uh, Aaron Eckhart played like Frankenstein. That's
4: still happening.
2: But it was like it was like the it was like like the Pattinson Twilight era. I don't think we're. I think that we're at least embracing like making the monsters kind of monstrous.
4: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, I thought you meant just like fucking monsters.
2: No, well that yeah, we're definitely fucking monsters. But uh, he was I'll also th- in that sh- that uh,
1: short-lived TV show that Spielberg had been working on for years, Terra Nova.
2: I I don't even remember. It was like that. a bunch of
1: dinosaurs and stuff, and it was pretty. That sounds great. It was it's, it would have been great, but it wasn't. It just was not great. But <laughs> well, um, there were a lot of people disappointed with this casting because I think they really were expecting Ben to be played by like somebody well known. Like a lot of people were bemoaning the fact that it wasn't Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. A lot of people were relieved it was not, not Chris Pratt. Pratt. I was of that camp. <laughs> um, I, I think was Pratt personally, would have been good. somebody had mentioned last week when we were discussing how we were really campaigning for Jerry O'Connell. And by we, I mean me. I uh, was too. Anyway, I, I just like, th- th- thought that idea was great. But then somebody recommended Joel Egerton. And then yeah, I became you were convinced. Out for Joel. And I really was. Like, I was convinced that that was going to be the casting because Ben's a pretty substantial role. It's not like Stan and it's not even like Eddie. Like he's, he's right there as like, one of the main leads. So this is going to be a big deal for Jay Ryan. Like This will be a big kickstart for his career. It could career. be a yeah, big star-making you know? role.
2: And the thing is, I think, I don't know, I was a little disappointed when I saw it too, only because he just kind of, he looks like a boilerplate hunk. Yes, exactly. He really looks
4: younger than all of them. He yeah. does, yeah. He looks way younger. And
2: he plays a young character in Top of the Lake. Mm-hmm. So- Maybe
4: they'll do something. I mean, Ben when he does i don't want to spoil anything for the book but he has like his problems that sure yeah make him yeah. maybe maybe age him prematurely the they way, might so. you
1: know i just i kind of wish like, like egerton was so perfect yeah and he actually even looks like the but kid Egerton's a
2: huge star right now
1: yeah but so is jessica chastain yeah and but, bill Hader. Uh, yeah i that's true wait are you Mac
4: saying of, that uh these two are oh gonna be yeah. in a movie as well well you
1: know speak of the devil we uh uh We let loose those names, I guess, right now, or I did.
2: Well, we called those names in 2014. Yeah, like, yeah. well, at least like, two of them. Yeah, well, Ch- yeah, because we said Bill Hader back then too, mm-hmm. didn't for we? For Richie, yeah, yeah, and we said, um, we Jessica, said Jessica Chastain, Chast- and Jessica Chastain, I feel like was kind of a given. She was yeah. in Andy Muschietti's Mama mm-hmm. uh before she kind of really broke. Well, that actually, that movie was released like the year she really blew up, and yeah. she was nominated for an Oscar for. um for the Malik movie, uh the Tree of Life. Yeah. And um and yeah, so I thought that was it's it's brilliant casting and also I feel like Jessica Chastain has done kind of a neat job of oscillating between awards fodder and more mainstream fare. Um I think she's great in everything I've seen her in.
1: Um Yeah, I mean I I still love this weird alternate reality version of this movie where they cast like kids that were formerly in <laughs> Like Stephen King movies as kids. God. Like the idea of like Drew Barrymore playing Bev and Cory Feldman. Cory Feldman playing, playing Ben. Yeah, like Sissy's something basic. like that. Sissy is one, one of the guys. You know, yeah. I could
2: actually see Corey Feldman as Stan.
1: Yeah. Could work. I don't even think he's Jewish, but um <laughs> You know, doesn't But hey, sure, let's go with it. I love um, Feldman. Well, you know, we have Bill Hader as Richie, which was rumored for a while and so is James McAvoy it's as just Bill. It's a perfect cat and it's great. The 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 Bill Hater is Richie is the thing I'm most excited for. Yeah. It's gonna be amazing. Like it's like I'm so excited. It just for that. makes
2: so much sense. And maybe yeah. it's because we're thinking about Harry Anderson because he was so tall, too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, obviously, Hater's is really funny and we know he can do drama as well. And he's got the same comic sensibility. Like when he's being funny, he's funny in the way Richie is funny in the book. Yeah. And also he has not I wouldn't say he's very similar to Harry Anderson, but there's shades similarities. Yeah. Like the way they talk, I think, is very similar. Rest in peace, Harry Anderson, by the yeah. way. I wrote that obituary. It was very sad. Very sad. It's um, going
4: to be interesting just seeing him amidst this ensemble too like mm-hmm. i feel like we've seen him do drama especially if you're coming off of barry which mm-hmm. i know a lot of you are yes um love barry. which is funny as well but seeing him amidst like all these other very serious actors he gets to be comedic yeah. and kind of waffle in that way i feel like it's going to be totally new for mm-hmm. him and yeah. it's going to be really cool
1: it's definitely it's definitely going to be oh this is a bill hater we haven't seen before right. and like and that's kind of what's great about him and why i love him so much and why I'm going out on a limb and saying that I think he is honestly the best uh, alumnus of Saturday Night Live. Like I think he's the most multifaceted of I think, all time. Of all of them, yeah. Come on, I really do. No, I, I'm <laughs> Bill especially Murray after, especially after Barry. Bill Murray's never really written his stuff like Bill like like Bill Hater has though. Like Bill Hader's like he's he does ev- give, he does everything. Let's give
2: Hader ten more years before you say that. Hey, I'm i I'm all, I'm all is, on board with Hader. Hey, you
1: don't you don't you don't do these call outs until uh you know when it when you're close to You're like to me the given
2: preemptive five nosers. Five
1: I am I'm giving a five noser to Bill Hader's career. Bill
4: Hader's entire life. <laughs> to his
1: entire life. I just he's I just going love
2: Hader. To heaven on you know a what my horse. latest you know what my latest preemptive five noser was? Solo. No Aquaman. Oh Jesus <laughs> You're on. You're on. You're on there. You are literally Aquaman without the skills, so you're gonna fucking drown. Um, Um, Well, I'll say that I think that there's. I think that this could be if this movie does well and doesn't tank the goodwill of the first one. I think that J. Ryan, James Ransone, or Bill Hader. I think Bill Hader will reach another echelon in terms of what he's allowed to do. In Hollywood, I think that combined with Barry will start landing him roles that people never thought of before for him, which is, I think will be very exciting. And, um, but I think this could be, uh, for J. Ryan or James Ransone, could make them into household names. You know, we didn't talk about James yet. James McAvoy. Well, I, I don't know. I don't, that's the thing is, I don't have a ton to say about McAvoy. He's a fine bill. I he's, think. A great, he's a great actor. He's,
1: I mean, he's you know He is very hot. You think he's hot? Yeah. I think he's kind of hot. I think he's hot and like wanted.
4: I think he's hot in everything in
1: life. I in that movie, uh, Atomic Blonde, he looks like a psychopath, so um.
4: and Splitty looks like yeah. a you think it's hot? No, I, don't I don't haven't know. seen that movie. He, I do he's like, got the he's the gaunt, intellectual looking.
2: I just worry that he's he's been doing such um cheesy fare like of late, like Split, Split, and then Wanted to, Split. and like I feel, and then wait, what was the other Atomic Not Blonde? Not Wanted to,
1: Atomic Blonde, yeah, yeah.
2: like. It's like he's, he's playing, he's been acting in movies that require a certain amount of camp and cheese, yeah, which, is, which is what makes me concerned.
4: Makes him like the next Tom Hiddleston. Like it's exactly what Tom Hiddleston was doing. Yeah. Although
2: Hiddleston, like Hiddleston
1: like
4: would have been great. in like genre flicks. And then he'll also do something like fucking high rise or whatever.
1: God damn it. Why didn't they go with Hiddleston? He even looks more like, uh... oh
2: I think, I think he's a little too British, even if he's doing an American accent. You think so? Yeah. Like I thought I very, I liked him in, oh, okay. Well, Kong Skull Island. His character was useless, even though he was the ostensible lead, mm-hmm. and I didn't really buy him as like the character that he was playing. Okay, well, then but that's I'll fair. say that I love Hiddleston. Yeah, but I, I, think McAvoy's better here. But you know who they should have got? Because hmm. I always, I used to confuse James McAvoy with Matthew Reese.
1: Matthew Reese would have
2: been awesome. Matthew Reese would have been incredible. Oh my god, There's isn't that- he a little He's, uh, the lead on the Americans? He might be a little too you guys old. Just yeah, love the
4: Americans. <laughs> Well, he's. Well, I, he, he would have been a
2: great Lewis Creed, though. He would have been a great Lewis Creed. He's. He was also in the post, the Steven Spielberg film. Uh, but sorry, I. I don't know why he doesn't. No, work he would have been fine. He's only forty three years old. Yeah, it would have been, been great. great. I and think, I think James
4: McAvoy will do a good job. Yeah, I
2: he'll do be, too. He'll be I, fine. I'm actually. I'm I just don't have like a connection to McAvoy.
1: I think he's gonna. They they probably cast him because he leads all the X Men and all those movies, and they're like, oh well, he's a good yeah, leader. He really
4: does look like the kid. Like of all, and he does look he like the kid. Really looks like. Yeah,
1: him. yeah, that's true.
2: It's good casting. It'll be good. So, what's your favorite casting out of this? We all agree. What like, I think hater. Yeah, haters <laughs> well, for me. I'll yeah. just say that. Hater, obviously, but I'm going to go Ransone is very exciting. Yeah, I knew that that was, yeah. Because Eddie's such a good, I feel like Eddie's a really great role, especially if you've got somebody who's willing to kind of go dark with it. And um, knowing Ransom, like, he's going to go dark with it. And I, because, you know, no spoilers, but Eddie's got kind of a wild journey throughout the second half of it. And I think that he'll be able to pull off the emotional aspect of it really I well. I feel
4: like Chastain has the hardest job. Everyone's been saying she's going to do it. And now she's going to have to surprise people somehow.
2: And, and she, that character is, like, meant to be so magnetic, you know? And it's like, well, that's we, obviously she is, but it's a hard thing to ask of, a, of an actress.
4: Yeah. I just feel like she's got to. Gotta pull some out that we're not expecting.
1: How crazy would it be if uh, Andre Holland gets the the role for Mike Hanlon because he's going to be in Castle Rock?
2: Yeah, but he's a little too young,
1: isn't he? No, he's thirty eight years old. I just looked it up. Really? Uh huh.
2: Wait, wasn't he? he in, was in Moonlight. Moonlight? Yeah. playing like a high schooler.
1: Uh, no, he's playing like he was playing like a like oh, twenty he was the something
2: older guy. Yeah. He's older. yeah. Oh, okay, my bad. I confused him. But not yeah. that
1: older. I mean, he was only like a couple Wait, years old. That older. would be
2: great, especially
4: because Skarsgård is also in Castle exactly. Rock. Exactly.
1: So that, that that would be really wild. I'd be into that. Yeah. I would too. And he's great. He's Although great, the way like... that
2: they've been talking about Mike in the movie is that he's like in bad shape. So oh yeah, like because he's like supposed to be like a drug addict, Badict. and he probably looks a little bit older than everybody else. So that's the only thing is I feel like Holland. At least when I look at him, I see somebody who's much younger. Um, even if he is thirty eight, hey, he takes care of himself.
1: Hey, I don't. I don't want Mike Hanlon to be. Some old, addict. some
2: old man yeah <laughs> well it's funny that you say that when I googled um or when I twittered Mike Hamlin's name the you first twittered? <laughs> I Twittered well I searched on Twitter uh the first thing that I saw was um somebody being like please dude do, don't don't make Mike a drug addict yeah. and it was like a huge post about it yeah it's I mean, a, it's there, a, there, there are a couple of great candidates
1: that people have been kicking around to for him um I'm gonna totally fuck up the name but um she would tell ah4 a4 yeah I actually really like that casting. He could be good, yeah. Uh, and um, David Eulalio.
2: Oh yeah, like, he could I be f- good.
1: Think he would be really fucking good. I don't want Anthony Mackie. I don't want think Anthony he's too Mackie. known because of the Marvel movies. And Didn't I just, he
2: say Anthony Mackie in 2014?
1: We, I think we had him in there, but, but that I've was changed. Pre-Marvel. But that was before he was like really big with Marvel now, and I just don't. He, th- you want to talk about someone who I think looks young? I think he always looks young. Like, yeah. I think he always looks like. He's only been like one or two years removed from Eight Mile, like he's which is where he was. He's also jacked to hell. He is, and Mike Kenlon is not no. jacked. He like works in a fucking library. That's not going to happen. And he's so addicted to drugs
2: apparently. And apparently, he's the Oscar like, winner from Moonlight? Uh, he might be good. I can't remember his name right now. Well, Barry Jenkins, because I don't
1: think any actor is won from Moonlight.
2: No, an actor one. Um, I he's in Predator. I can't remember his name. No, no, Travante. Oh, no, no, Day not Travante. No, he's not in Predator. I can't remember. Um, I'm an idiot, but I can guarantee you that an actor from Moonlight, one best supporting actor. It was the guy in the yes. first section. Oh, I know you're talking about that. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um are bad podcast hosts. Uh, no, Mahershal Ali.
2: Yes, Maharshal Ali. He's too in old. True Detective Season 3. That's it's way too old though. Yeah, and and he he's probably filming true detective season three, so he couldn't yeah. do it. But okay, we've 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 exhausted we've this. Uh good talk. That's Hollywood King. It's time to move on. We've got a lot more to talk about. Let's
3: That's code 80 movies 50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Let's do it. Yeah.
2: So one thing we don't get to do a lot on this podcast, we're always talking about new films, new movies, and we're talking about old books. But guess what? We've got some new material here, and it's very exciting. And so earlier this week, Stephen King – or was it last week? No, it was this week. Oh, no, no, no. Um, this is a short story. The short story? No, it was last week. Lori is a 32 – well, it was 32 pages in my, in my uh, – Double-spaced. Double-spaced on Stephen King's website, uh, which I read on my phone. But it was – Very good. A short story. It's called Laurie. It's about an older man whose wife has recently passed and his sister to cheer him up, gets him a dog that he wants to get rid of. And it's a very light. Like, you keep waiting for the darkness to come, and it does eventually. Uh, and it takes place in Florida, like Duma Key, and it it kind of has that sort of, you know, sunlit, warm quality to it. And yeah, and I mean, I don't want to say too much. It's really that simple. This uh, older man gets a dog and then kind of grows attached to it. And then um, a horrifying event happens, and the dog helps him get through it. And that's kind of a good way to uh, talk about it, I think. But Mel, what did you think of this story?
4: I liked it. It felt like a light snack. Yeah. I guess. It's like an appetizer. I think Stephen King himself says it's an appetizer to the outsider. Yeah. Um, So it's not, you know, it's not like earth shattering, but if you like dogs and you like King... You're probably going to like this story.
2: Yeah. And like we said earlier, it was an ode to Vixen, his wife's old dog, old Corgi. And clearly, I think he wrote it maybe for his wife um, or maybe just to kind of soothe his own grief over the dog's passing. And, you know, I think it is just kind of a really beautiful little ode to kind of a person's connection with a dog. And there's some really lovely, like quiet little moments in it. Cause you know, he's an older man and he talks about like taking the dog out to pee at like two in the morning. And he just kind of pauses and he's like, when was the last time I was outside at two in the morning? And he's looking up at the stars and seeing all these stars. And it's like, and, and just in that moment, he kind of shows how, you know, having an animal, having a thing to care for can really change just the fabric of your life and make you see things in a new way. And it's just very much sort of a, uh, I mean, obviously, I was reading it with my cat sleeping next to me, and I was, like, so googly-eyed um, over her and, like, hugging her after. And so I think that if you have a pet, it'll make you want to go hug them. And if you don't, it'll make you maybe want one.
4: I, my favorite part is there's – he doesn't get too precious about the dog. And there's a part where he says the character's reflecting that you shouldn't try to make them into something they're not. Which yeah. is basically saying you shouldn't anthropomorphize them and you shouldn't put feelings on them that they can't feel. I mean, the dog shits and pisses all over this guy's house. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like some sort of Homeward (laughs) Bound-esque thing. And it's not like the dog looks at him and there's a moment. And it's a very realistic portrayal of a relationship between a man and a dog. And like Randall is saying, it's sort of like how, yes, you build this relationship with the animal. But it also disrupts the patterns of your life so that you notice things you might not. And you just live a a completely different way because of this... uh, Visitor. I think he refers to the dog as the visitor for a while.
2: And I just love the way that when the story gets horrific, it does so in such an over-the-top Stephen King kind (laughs) of way. It's ridiculous. Don't want to spoil it, but it'll make you both laugh and uh, maybe gag a little bit because it's kind of gross. How much of this story do you think uh, was written with Molly on his lap? Oh, I mean, I don't know if Molly's a lap dog, but probably at his side. Mm. I think a lot of it was he was probably he was probably petting the dog after writing certain sentences. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, highly recommend Lori. It's a great quick read. You, you know, and um,
4: there's some Trump mentions in it. There's some what Trump mentions. Yes, <laughs>
2: there's some Trump mentions. Is
1: it better than the last rung on the ladder?
2: That's a. That's a, a bold yeah. question. Okay, okay. Um, we're not, we're not, we're not in the in the business of comparing and contrasting here.
1: As good or better than gray matter?
2: That has not. They're different. they're so different, you moron. No. You
3: fool! You we're not blaggard. doing this, you
2: fool! And <laughs> you on that rogue. note, uh, anyways, Laurie highly recommended. Let's move on. Let's talk about. We're going to offer up a spoiler-free discussion of The Outsider. I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys. We'll save that for when we cover the book in twenty forty-seven. We might have
4: to do a spoiler-free section and then a light spoiler.
2: Yeah, section. we could do we could do it by sections. Okay, cool. you know. Well, then we'll do a. We'll call it the
1: crime scene since this is a murder. <laughs> mystery well
2: we'll start with uh, with a spoiler free review mm-hmm. so i guess mel what do you think is the best way to start talking about it maybe just sort of a light overview of the plot
4: yeah which I've, has been released and yeah. talked about to death uh it's a town called flint city right it's what, in Oklahoma.
2: Michigan? yeah oklahoma? no i thought it, for the first like 20 pages i thought it was in michigan yeah. and then I, I thought it was flint and then i realized it's flint city in oklahoma yeah so oklahoma a new setting for king that is interesting yes. or at least from what i can remember
4: um, a boy, a young boy, is found horrifically murdered and brutalized. Um, and all evidence, and there's a lot of evidence, including eyewitness testimony, fingerprints, DNA, DNA points to the Little League coach who's beloved by the town. His name's Terry Maitland. Um, and he is summarily arrested and charged with the crime. And it basically is about it goes from there. I don't know that he's he's a huge figurehead in the community. And yet the police are so sure they have the right guy.
2: Well, he also has an ironclad alibi. Right. That he was out of town. Which is revealed later. Yes. Yes. And so... The question is, how
4: can a man be in two places
2: places. at once? And that's sort of the central hook, I think, of the book. And, you know, and in a neat way, it kind of touches on themes of doppelgangers, which I love, doubles. um, And they, you know, King kind of references Edgar Allan Poe's William Winters, which is a really freaky story about a doppelganger. They mention other... There was one that, like, sent a shiver up my spine. I'd never heard the story before, but uh, a woman who was, like, a teacher and was like writing on the blackboard and then this woman just like walked through the door in the middle of class and then started imitating all of her movements. And it was like her double, like literally like her doppelganger the and book all... presents
4: this as a true story. I didn't Google it. but maybe Well, that. I didn't Google it, but yeah. it gave me,
2: but they said that like all these students saw it. I want to Google it. I mean, knowing King, like he does like to dig up kind of stuff yeah. like that. So I'm hoping it's true. I'll Google it after the pod. But anyways, um, stories like that are really freaky to me. I find doppelgangers very scary. So I was very excited, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think overall, just to give sort of a spoiler-free uh, review, it's a very, it's a very satisfying read. I think in a lot of ways, it moves very quickly. This is very much King in crime mode. If you read Mister Mercedes, Finders Keepers, End of Watch, he's very much in that um, mindset. He's really clearly into our authors like Harlan Coben right now, who is all over this book, um, both in name and in influence. He's, you know, it's 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 an interesting mode for King to be in. I think he's been inching towards this for a while now. Obviously, you know, there was Joyland as well, which was uh, a pretty uh, hard veer into pulpy crime. And uh, he's been watching shows like Bosch. Uh, so I almost feel like he might be watching a little too much Bosch because I think that my overall impression of of this book is is I, I feel like King does horror better than he does crime. Um and as much uh, he's there's still a lot of the king touches here. He you know he's working with a small town. He's building an ensemble of characters. He's um you know very much interested in the minutia of their daily lives and about bringing people together to to pursue a goal. Um and a big final confrontation things like that. It's it's a lot of fun and it moves really quickly and it's very entertaining. But I think ultimately I'm lacking with this book. Uh. I think that there is almost a lack of personality. Uh, to the book, I wanted a little bit more nuance to the characters. I mean, one of the things I love about King is that he can give us these really interesting, strange ensembles that have so much texture and there's so many different characters and they're so, they all represent certain things or different mindsets. And I felt like the ensemble on this book was a touch um, monochrome, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted there to be a little bit more variation. I had trouble connecting to the protagonist. Uh, his name is Ralph Anderson. And you know has some interesting moments, but I think that uh, King presents a really interesting setup, and then the story really changes very drastically. And I think one of the things that I was most interested in early in the book, you know, really based around the hook that we've been discussing is is kind of uh t- is, is is it's sent to the back burner as the story evolves and i found myself wanting that a little bit more but that's sort of a broad overview mel what do you think
4: i am in agreement with much of you said with much of what you said in terms of we don't get to spend enough time in the interior lives of these characters. So we don't get to know them very much at all. We kind, I, I think this book is so plot heavy and so technical. Mm-hmm. I think his obsession with crime is leading him down some interesting avenues research wise. And yeah. it shows that he's done his homework, but the book is just dialogue and plot and motion and not a lot of interiority. And yeah. we just don't, to connect like you're saying i think it's interesting that you said it moved really fast because to me it did not
2: yes yeah, i thought crawled. it i thought it did because i guess because it's so plot focused that it and it, you know he's obviously working within the realm of like you know a leads to B leads to C leads to D, and we so
4: metic. It reminded me of your complaint about the tab- the scene in the talisman where the guy goes up the ladder yeah. <laughs> and he outlines every specific well, I, step, yeah. and I it felt like that. I was like, God, I get that you're trying to be thorough, but like, let it, let's move it along.
2: I'll say that when I reached sort of the beginning of the third act, mm-hmm. I was really feeling that way. There was a couple conversations where certain plot points and exposition-y kind of things were being outlined and I was like guys we have to keep moving (laughs) like and that's the thing is it's wild that there's not more uh character development and interior thought because you know the book still runs 560 pages exactly
4: it's so weird and it's it's such a this is like a weird book to me it's all plot yeah it's all dialogue it should be breakneck yeah and and yet I'm kind of like it's just point A to point B, point A to point B, point yeah. A to point B. And the, the idea the story is very intriguing. Yes. And I do love the way it changes and how the acts are so different from one another. So in a big picture way, you're never really bored. But for me, getting through some of the sections was, was a bit of a slog.
2: That's a good way to put it. The big picture isn't boring mm-hmm. because I was always intrigued by what would happen. I was very much along for the ride. But I'll say this, though. This was one of the rare King books where I felt like I was a few steps ahead of everyone else in the book. Uh, You know, I think we have a really good idea of what's happening from if you just read the book jacket Mm -hmm. or, you know, even the first 50 pages, you've got a really good idea. And also knowing that you're reading Stephen King, you've got a pretty good idea of where this is all going. And I feel like there's a lot of evidence gathering To lead us to conclusions that are already pretty obvious. Well, I
4: don't know. I feel like maybe I'm dumber than you. Because when we are presented with the paradox of, wow, we have ironclad evidence that this guy was in two places at the same time. All I was thinking was, how is King going to get us out of this?
2: That's interesting. I guess for me, I was like, I guess like my mind, and I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong. I'll just say that like... What I figured was happening, which I based primarily on, you know, knowing King Mm -hmm. and knowing what he's been up to. And also, I'll say this is very lightly, there is sort of a similar plot thread in End of Watch the final uh, Bill Hodges book.
4: Which I I had not finished the Hodges trilogy. Randall has.
2: I have read them all. And I will say that that probably was on my mind too, especially considering I knew that a character from the Bill Hodges universe uh, and this has been revealed. I won't say who it is, but King did write about it on his Twitter, uh, is in the book. And so I guess I had that in my mind. And I guess if you go into this book with End of Watch in mind, you'll probably have a good idea of where it's going. But, yeah. So you would say it's in the Stephen King universe then? Oh. Well, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I guess – well. The Hodges trilogy, does that exist in the traditional Stephen King universe? I mean,
2: I assume all of them exist in the right? traditional Stephen King universe.
1: So I guess this would be considered part of like yeah. the King yeah. universe. I mean, there's no de- book that I would say does. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Weird. That's but crazy. I would
4: also say when you said um, uh, this is the first Stephen King book where I felt blank and you, you said I, Not was, the first, I was ahead but, of the yeah. writing, I thought you were going to say this is the first Stephen King book where I kind of felt like. Oh, this is like the real world that I recognize, and I definitely got more of that from this one than I've gotten from sure. a recent Stephen King book. It definitely felt like
1: like modern the world times. of today. Yeah.
4: Even though one review I just read was like, "These people don't text." <laughs> I was <laughs> like, "It's true. They really don't." But like, I don't know how much Stephen texts. Why does like, everyone call each other? Yeah, everyone yeah, still nobody calls does each that. other, and like, there's there was a complaint in a review about like I don't know like increased. Uh, technological advancements and crime stuff that he probably just doesn't know about. He, yeah. I mean, it's whatever. That's fine. I don't really. Also, care.
2: it is small town, Oklahoma. Right. though. So they it's might not Oklahoma. have all the, all the gidget, gidgets and gadgets. Um, maybe one last thing before we move into a light spoiler discussion. Yeah. Um, I'll just say this. I, the one, I saw one review floating around out there and no shade. It's not a bad review by any means, but it describes the book as, um, it, an it for the Trump era. And if you have not read the book and you're expecting that, please don't expect that. And I think you'll enjoy it more. That is, to me, a very, very strange read of the book.
4: Neither of us understand this comparison.
2: Yeah, I would say that aside from the mutilation of children... Um, I don't see a lot of well. I guess like the mutilation of children, and then you know there may be a couple other small things that I won't spoil just yet. But I, I think that's a it's a big stretch, and I think not the kind of um, approach into the book that I would take if you want to enjoy it. Yeah. So, any final thoughts before we move into a spoiler? Mike, space? do you have any
4: non spoiler questions or?
2: Well, was it scary? There yeah. were sections of it that I thought were scary. Yeah. Yes, like king scary. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, couple it's not of, a horror novel, Yeah, but it's not straight horror, but I will say that like, in terms of like, there is horror to it, mm-hmm. but I will say that in terms of, um, like, I mean, just in terms of sheer brutality of the central crime they're investigating, that's, that could very well give you like nightmares. Like
1: unique enough to separate
2: itself from yeah. the rest of the yeah. mystery and there genre. Are, uh,
4: there's set pieces and settings that get real scary. Yeah. I think.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it does well in terms of um, uh, creating some is, some King spooky moments. Is there a single mention
1: or reference to Maine?
2: Not that I remember. Mm, I don't think so.
4: Yeah,
1: does Stephen King
2: refer to himself? <laughs> uh, wait, there is a moment. Wait a yeah, minute. They what? talk.
4: They reference The Shining. They reference
2: really? The Shining. Yeah, the interesting. Movie. Yeah. Okay,
4: in a in a way where they kind of shit on it. Yeah, really. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Wow, and so... there was
2: like an article, like I think Mashable or some one of those sites that like jumps on these things so quickly. Like they said something about um, like oh King. King, you know, still hates The Shining. You see it in his new book, you know. What an obnoxious uh, know, story to run. God, fuck that. And then I feel like there was, I feel like there might have been one other, like a little winky, I can't remember what it is exactly, but like a little wink to, um, uh, you know, his legacy to okay. some degree, you know.
1: Is there a classic King protagonist? Uh, No. No.
4: I feel like there can't be because of what we've been saying about the lack of character yeah. development
2: so yeah. it's like it's
1: just like more of a you were saying it's all story driven yeah well, there's sort,
2: are, there's sort
4: of a classic king collaborative marriage
2: yes that is true i like that you say that like collaborative marriage is kind of a neat way to put it like sort of an unlikely bond you mm-hmm. know like uh pairing which i think is neat um so wait i actually i'm curious now is there a modern king book that you would say has like a classic king protagonist
1: Yeah I think um, I think for Under the Dome We mentioned before I think Barbie's A classic king
2: protagonist I think he Yeah I think he's very yeah. He's very kingian But yeah. would you say like um, Jake Epping From 1122 I th- think so Cause I think he's I love that book But yeah. he's A little bit of A um, <sighs> Like, I feel like I never know a ton about Jake. You don't book. really. I mean, yeah. he's
1: divorced guy in the beginning, and it's yeah. not a spoiler. I love the, in the book, and I of, love
2: the ending, and I think that they earn everything, but I never felt super attached to that protagonist.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely written very similar and yet very unlike a lot of his protagonists. You and know? I
2: just like, in terms of, like, when I think back to his recent books, like Hodge's never connected with him. I feel like King like loves that character and he loves everyone in that universe. I very much like Hodges was somebody I struggled with a lot. Which uh, is funny
4: because the main character of this book is constantly compared to Hodges by another character. It's so <laughs> crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, we'll get there in the spoiler uh,
4: series. So
1: technically, I mean, I know it's a standalone he says it, but it's really just in that universe. Like if they really wanted to, they could probably rope this into the Mr. Mercedes yep. story. Absolutely. Yeah. But
4: you really don't need to have read it. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it can, you can go your own way. Well, but it's also yeah, just
2: like, say, when is I'll, he going
1: to get away from
2: this? But I'll say this: four though. books now. You don't need to read the Mister Mercedes trilogy to read The Outsider, but the book um, absolutely spoils the all three books in the True the Hodges trilogy. I have now
4: been spoiled for the like repeatedly the ending, the ending of the Hodges trilogy. So it's, it's
1: so it's like the Twin Peaks fire walk with me. Yes of this of the this, this Actually, franchise. I don't no, not at all. No, but not really. all right. but it does spoil
2: everything. One Where thing I will also I almost meticulously to say this.
4: so when we were talking about it, I feel like it uh is is very bleak. Yeah. Um and goes where you think it might not go in several cases where I was like, damn, okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah,
2: which I gave it credit for because yeah. I, I did not. I
4: didn't expect those moments. Because
2: the things that I found annoying about it are the things that I find annoying about a lot of King stuff, which is kind of an the where it gets a little too folksy for its own good. <laughs> sure. Characters start talking in ways where, like I did, I felt like there was a lot of recognize, like you said, like it did feel like the real world, but there were a few characters that come in where I'm just kind of like, I really need this character to talk less. Um, this is like these people are being way too cute. There's a little too much uh, forced wit here. Yeah, that's the king. Yeah, that's, that's the king stuff. never not going to be there. And I, th- But the thing is that stuff sometimes disarms me um, for the scary shit. Yeah.
4: I, so I'll say I that, that it
2: did that in this book. I was like, this book feels like it exists in a safe space. I was feeling that way as I was kind of in the third act. And then it doesn't. And that's cool. So should we move into the spoiler yeah, space? let's do it. Okay, listeners, we're
3: moving into the spoiler Light space. Light spoilers. We're not going to Yeah, them. we're not going to spoil everything. We're stepping into the crime scene. I think really
2: I just kind of want to talk about the Hodges stuff.
4: Oh, I want to talk about um, how similar I think this is to Dracula.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you start.
4: Yeah, okay. This is Stephen King's Dracula.
2: <laughs> like, more um, than Salem's Lot. Yeah, well, even I the think, cover looks like that, so. Sure. You know.
4: The reviews already spoiled the, Already spoiled this, and I almost am sad to talk about it because I went into this book thinking there would be no supernatural element. Spoiler alert, there is a supernatural element, yeah. and I didn't know that going in, and I loved that it went there, and I didn't expect it to. Um, and again, this, I think, is what you're alluding to when you're saying if I had finished the Hodges trilogy, like, yeah. I would... Know that this might be the direction it's going, yeah, in. because
2: Mercedes doesn't get into supernatural right. stuff, I, that's the only but one I've Finder's Keepers by the end of it does, and then the third book it's like super supernatural, so um, and then it's supernatural in ways that are very similar to The Outsider, sure. so which is, I think, just sort of a little kick he was on this whole idea of. Of, uh, hey, very Westworld, uh, this idea of what consciousness, like consciousness being able to travel between bodies to some degree. And uh, and it's a neat idea. And I do like the way it's played with in The Outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, yeah, you're right. It is very Dracula. It's got a similar kind of ensemble. They reference Dracula constantly. The arc
4: is the exact same. Like yeah. there's this weird coming together after a tragedy. Um, like, they couldn't figure out in time to save one person. So then they have to, like, call in, like, a hunter who's, mm-hmm. like, Van Helsing, but not. And, yeah. like, they have to, like, work together to track the thing to its home base. And, like, maybe this is getting into way too spoilery territory. But, like, it li- it's like Dracula. <laughs> and there's
2: a Renfield character. There's
4: a Renfield character. like. Yeah. But it's
2: neat. I mean, yeah, and I think that it's... I. I that's actually, you know... Uh, like, the Renfield character, which we won't get too deep into, but it's, like, I actually really like the way they played with that. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the introduction of the character, but I like the way it evolved. I mean, he was just very despicable and um, in ways that I found very intriguing. But I guess it's, like, I struggle a bit with, like, I don't know why we needed we, – I don't know why we needed – because uh, we'll just say, like, since this is the spoiler section – It's Holly Gibney from the Hodges trilogy. She's Van Helsing. She's the Van Helsing of this book, and clearly King is very enamored with her. He loves the character. He loves her little um, tics, her strangeness, her uh, physical, like her um, her various affectations. He very much like indulges in these things, and the other characters are very curious about her. And I will say though that being in her head, which we never really are in the Hodges books, I felt like I did learn a lot about her. I learned more about her in this book than maybe I did in the others because we were always seeing her through uh, Bill's perspective. And, I mean, I never loved Bill Hodges as a character, so I also struggle with her sort of, like, I understand why she reveres him like she does, but it gets a little bit much. (laughs) Like, she, like, worships the ground he walked on. And it's a bit much, but I will say that... um, I think that the only reason she's really in this book is because King wasn't ready to stop writing her yet. I think he liked her and I think he's interested in the idea of writing more stories with her because I think he thinks she's a very unique and interesting character to place at the center of these things.
4: Well, Plus I feel like the Hodges trilogy, having not read them, is kind of how she finally finds a way to stand on her own. And then he's like, let me write her when she's doing that.
2: That's a great way to look at it. And I think that you're very correct there because we really do see that, and it is kind of a full circle for right. her character. And that I think that's <laughs> it's satisfying. funny
4: because characters in the in the outside are just constantly validating her. They're always yes. like, "Oh my god, <laughs> you're like, so, you really can do it!" And
2: like, <laughs> like it, it almost goes over overboard at one point. Like he's just like, "Well, this guy, uh, if I if it was my choice, I'd replace him with you to be the detective." Know, it's so.
4: Funny funny. I
2: know and it's just like all right Stephen calm down. Same with and since we're in the spoiler space I'll just say and this stuff's all in like the first 50 pages but man Stephen King is in love with Crime Writer Harlan Coben. Um, because he is a character sort of in this book. He speaks at a conference and multiple characters praise his brilliance and his <laughs> wittiness. Like the funniest part is this character who has no idea who Harlan Coben is. And he's talking about watching video of a speech that he gave. And he goes, I have to admit, he is very witty.
4: Plus, I mean, just <laughs> describing they go to hear him speak and they're like, well, of course we had to go to hear him speak. <laughs> like. I and mean, been like all Ralph, the English
0: teachers. So. I and mean, then
2: Ralph is this kind of like, well, I mean, obviously, I can't wait for the next Harlan Coben <laughs> barnstormer. <laughs> yeah. It's like we get it. Every character in this book loves yeah. him. There, uh, there are so
4: many good themes that I just wish that Stephen had spent more time with and less time with the procedural aspects. Yeah, and that's Ralph, what else, it could have been so interesting. Yeah. Like he makes this huge mistake, mm-hmm. and like that's like got to be propelling him and we never spend enough time in there. And
2: that's what I was referring to earlier, um the kind of thrust, the early thrust of the book, we lose as it goes on, the whole Terry Maitland little league coach uh Ralph story, um that to me is really the emotional center of the book and then it kind of dissipates. Yeah. I mean, it sticks around, but not in a way where it really shapes the character or the narrative. Right. And you and, know who we yeah. also
4: don't get enough of is the, the like, alfalfa DA, Bill Samuel. I know. Like, you think I... he's going to do so much yes. with
2: him. Yeah, there's like a, yeah, the, the DA, he's like a young, um, like, clearly upstart, maybe a little bit corner cutting, kind of uh wannabe politician and, yeah, it's, like, it's such a great setup for kind of a classic slimy king character. And we get a lot of him early on. And then he kind of just drops out of the narrative. And it's too bad. Mm-hmm. And instead we spend more time with people that I feel like weren't developed as well as him. Which was unfortunate. What
4: did you think of the antagonist? Uh,
2: I, I mean, I, I like both the Dracula stand-in. I thought it was very interesting. I wish I wanted more time. Uh, I wanted to feel more threatened. But the sheer brutality of the character is very interesting. But I, I also loved – I mentioned this earlier, but I also loved the Renfield character as well. I mm-hmm. thought he was kind of a classic King uh, sidekick. I love King's, like, right-hand evil –
4: Always this pathetic – Yes, like these pathetic little <laughs> monsters.
2: Like uh, – and that's – you know, it's like it reminds me of, um, in a way, uh, like Harold Lauder from The Stand. Because yeah. then you've always got, like – you've got the Lloyd who's, like, the, the, the stable one. And then you've got sort of the pathetic one. I always enjoy the pathetic ones most. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, do you have any spoiler-type questions
1: uh no because I uh, I don't want to know the spoilers I've just been kind of zoning out a little bit here. Uh, sorry if we ruined anything. Completely. No no no. Yeah, I, I I think, we, I, I think I, we
2: kept it nice and light. We didn't spoil too much. So uh, I stayed
1: busy over here on uh, Instagram and nice. if uh, you follow us you'll see the photos I just posted. So
2: nice. Well, oh. well I'll say that I I do enjoy the book. It's recommended, but you know ultimately I think it's minor king. It's it's a good book to pass the time, but I don't think it'll be remembered as one of his uh, one of his strongest.
4: I'd be. Do you think it'll get adapted into a film?
2: Yes, I'm sure it's been optioned. Okay. Uh, well, because if they could all just, of his books are optioned. Can't they just include it with the Mister Mercedes series? Um, or maybe yeah, too I mean, far. I
4: guess actually, yeah, it could be like a season. It like could a-
2: if if the if the woman they've cast as Holly like takes off and starts to really command the show and could ostensibly like take over. Uh, then I could see them doing a season that incorporated this. But I think that it would depend on whether or not she could carry the show. Which, having watched the first season, she's good, but she doesn't have a ton to do in the first. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we'll see as it goes on.
4: The reviews of this book have been, like, really glowing. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of them do say it's like a return to form in a way. I I mean...
2: I don't know about that.
4: I don't know. I feel like we had a text exchange going and I was like, I'm not really digging it. And Randall was like, I really am. And we, we both took the other's words yeah. to heart where I was like, Oh, maybe this is kind of cool. And he was like, Oh yeah, maybe there are some problems. Yeah, and- I really
2: started thinking critically about it after that. Cause I was just kind of barreling through it. And I, I found just a ton to really dissect and be like, yeah, I don't think when I think about what, what in the King universe really works for me, I found that it was lacking a lot of those things. And some of the, the, the sandboxes that he was playing in here, I liked, but I didn't love. And there was, you know, like you said, a lot of, um, there was sort of just a dispassionate quality to it uh, that kind of arose just from by virtue of it being so plot heavy. There were, you know, it's like you think about the the moments we really love in The Stand, uh, like, you know, all those little diversions into, um, you know, all these other people who didn't die of the super flu but died in various other ways throughout the book. Uh, Just those little interludes. Like you learn so much. It gives the book so much new texture. And we never really get anything like that. We're very tethered to these characters. And, and I was reading a review and they talk about the world, like how it's thrilling because the world slowly gets built out and built out and built out. And I'm like, I did not feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel felt like, like they
4: went from a location to a different location. Exactly. <laughs>
2: like we spend the second half of the book in a different location, but we're still with the same people and we're not really... I mean, we meet a couple new characters, but it's not really broadening the world or, or giving it new texture. Yeah. To me, it's a it's a pretty straightforward story. Um,
4: but. Yeah. You want to know what happens, like yeah. even though it was kind of a slog for me, like I never was like, ugh, I have to pick up this book again. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a fun read.
2: Absolutely, and I think it could make a really solid movie or a season oh, of a TV yeah. show. The
4: procedural aspects alone, I think, would be yeah. really fun.
2: Yeah, I I can see why King emphasized it being a standalone um, because you know it functions like that. I just I I. I struggle. I struggle a little bit with the idea of Holly coming in, also because not only because everyone's praising her constantly, but also because she's always right. And like <laughs> the way, and like she breaks down what is a very complicated mythology, seemingly pretty simply. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stuff that really boggles the mind. And uh, so I don't know. Yeah, she I struggle can't sort
4: of do absolutely no wrong. Yeah, which I, I think again is just him being like. I made her so weak in the Hodges trilogy and I want everyone to know like, that she's come she's out capable of. Yeah.
2: And that's, that works. I mean, I think that works as an arc, but you know, she was, and I will say that I was on board with her, obviously, like once it got going in the final act, but I will just say that it was a curious choice to bring her in. And, and even just the way she was brought in, it was sort of a, like, uh, like, I don't know. It felt like sort of a, a happenstance mm-hmm. rather than something that really needed to happen. I mean, it just seems as if
1: he's continuing this universe to keep maybe like this show. He wanted the show to take off so he could just keep this going. It just seems so weird that he's still so indebted to this world. That The fact that this is connected to the Hodges books is just so, to me, as someone who's an outsider, (laughs) no (laughs) pun intended, uh, to this universe and this world. I mean, look, I've only seen the Audience Network's adaptation of it, uh, and I really liked it. Although everyone I've talked to, you know, the co-hosts of this show, <laughs> doesn't really like this series. No,
2: I like the series. So you like the series. Justin doesn't like reviews. it.
1: I, it just seems so, I don't know, I, I've said this before on, on previous episodes, but like the idea of a murder mystery bores the hell out of me right now. Like that's why I haven't watched Mindhunter. It's why I haven't, you know. Mindhunter like, rules. I heard it's great, but you know what? I'm just so tired of it. It's because it's been played to death.
4: Also, all the murderers are behind bars. <laughs> but like you know who did the murder. Yeah, well,
1: I just could I just I'm just tired of the genre and like I just feel like it's been played out so much that I really wish that you would just move on to something else, you know, at this point. You know, we've had f- four books of this now. Not in, you know, the, I guess Sleeping Beauties was different
2: because it's been more fantastical. So do yeah. you you want a straight up horror novel? Or do you or you want something, something like 1122? Yeah, like something okay. different I again. I
4: think Mike what you're saying about like building out the universe or whatever. Like it does kind of read like he's trying to do some X filesy yeah. type thing here, especially with Holly's involvement in both. She's kind of become the like go-to for like creature of the week or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: yeah. That's interesting. But I will say though, that we're, you know, we're trying to stay light on spoilers here, but there is horror in this mm-hmm. book. Uh, much, I would say more so than in the Mercedes trilogy. Although there are supernatural elements to that series, but it's, you know, but I do know what you mean. I, there is something that's, even though 1122 is incredible and in his best books, there is something that that's under the dome captured that the other ones of late have not. Oh, no, totally. That is just really pure cocaine King, you know? Yeah. and he wasn't on cocaine when he wrote Under the Dome. But no, it evoked but, cocaine, cocaine. Well,
1: because it's from the set, it's from a manuscript from like the seventies and oh, 80s.
4: Oh yeah, you're
2: yeah. right. So, you know. Well that's fun. But so we don't
4: give noses, right? Or do we?
2: No, I don't think we'll I don't you can think, give preliminary noses. I'll give preliminary noses based on this read. I mean, out of uh, five noses, I'll give this three and a half wow. uh, bright red pennywise clown noses. That's pretty good.
4: Three.
2: Yeah.
1: Comes up to about three point
2: two five.
4: About. Justin's not here, so we can't tell you the exact. No, number. he's got the gerbilitics. Yeah. Gerberlyx.
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's our discussion of the Outsider. I mean, still, obviously, we're not hating on the book here. It's a solid book. It's, uh, but you know, not King's best. But let's let's move on to some of the things that are King's best because we're going to be bringing them to you. Mm-hmm. This is a huge announcement. Huge announcement. Huge announcement. Mike, do you want to make it? I feel like it's your baby.
1: So, in celebration of Hulu's Castle Rock, yes. We want to take you to Castle Rock. (laughs) And we thought the best way to do that would be to curate a film festival in Chicago. Yes. So we have a history with the greatest place in the world. And where is that? The Music Box Theater. The Music Box in Theater. In Chicago, Illinois. In Chicago, Illinois, in the Southport Corridor neighborhood. That's where you live now. And that is where I live now.
4: We aren't going to be exactly where. <laughs> not, We're <laughs> not going to be
1: exactly, but uh, let's just say there's a cool pizza place nearby. Oh God, um, like but anyway, from Friday, July 27th to Saturday, July 28th, we are going to curate a lineup of films that's going to bring you to the titular town of Hulu's new show. Yes. So... After you watch it on Wednesday night, I think there's two episodes, I think there are maybe yeah. even three that they're, they might be dropping on July 25th you're going to be able to go to this theater and see all the movies that brought that town to life, and some other ones.
4: Just like drench yourself in Castle
2: Rock." And just Castle Rock just stuff live there.: Yeah,
1: yeah. We're, we're talking "Stand by Me." Yes. Uh, we're talking uh, "The Dead Zone.
2: We're talking the Shawshank Redemption,
1: possibly the Shawshank. Possibly, Redemption. yeah. We 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 still got to finish this lineup a little bit. We got some other ones, uh, but we're also we're gonna have some guests. We're gonna have a live podcast recording. Yep, at the theater, so you could see us uh, do our magic. <laughs> Which is oh not God. that. You see us acting like a bunch of assholes in real life. Uh, we're going to have theme drinks. We're going to have uh, giveaways. There's going to be vendors. We're talking to some great booksellers mm-hmm. right now. So if you want to find some first editions, like uh, our collectors and ourselves, it's, it's going to be the place to be. We're going to have merchandise. We're going to have a bunch of stuff. we got a lot of awesome opportunities that are going to be here. And we're going to be talking about it a lot leading up to
2: July. So that is the big announcement. It's very exciting. It's yeah, hugely exciting. It's very exciting. So, if you are looking to visit Chicago, mm-hmm. that's a good weekend to do it. it yeah, surely. July twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. time.
1: So Friday night, we're gonna. It's gonna be an evening Screens, We're gonna have about three or four on that night, uh, and then saturdays a full day yeah. We're talking like noon till yeah, like yeah. W- two or
2: three get in the morning brunch, yeah and
4: then get your bun to seat. and yeah. we'll
2: probably do some kind of party uh we'll hang out with you guys mm-hmm. we'll make something happen we want to chat with you guys and talk all things king because yeah. that's what we like to do
1: you might have yeah well we're, we're gonna definitely be having some sort of kickoff thing mm-hmm. around chicago maybe the uh, one of our favorite bars we'll, yeah uh, we're, we're still in the planning this out. stages but
2: yeah. we we are we are here to announce it
1: and yeah. it's going to be yeah, very hundred percent happening and if you go to our facebook or any of our socials for that matter you will see a fun exclusive little teaser trailer uh exclusive made (laughs) and narrated by you (laughs) yes yes it's a fun little parody of uh a film that we will be screening and a film that we consider the best uh stephen king adaptation that's true we did our list yeah i'm not included in that you are not (laughs) It's, (laughs) it's good yeah so uh very exciting and some of the things that we're kicking around in terms of surprises not just with people, but With some of the films and the versions of the films is very exciting. Yeah. So um, stay tuned, uh, just like John Ritter. uh, And uh, (laughs) we will be expanding upon... All the details, yeah, stay including tuned. ticketing.
2: We're going to have a lot of news coming up, but just, you know, write in your calendar, July 27th, July 28th, come see us and come back next week. We're going to be introducing a new segment that you named. Uh, uh, yeah, that I named. I was very proud of it. It's called Lobstrosities, and it's going to be a chance for us to watch maybe one of the movies that we otherwise wouldn't get a chance to talk about that. Probably King wouldn't want to talk about either. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Children of the Corn sequels. We're talking about uh, Lawnmower sequels, Man too. Lawnmower Man two, War Job's 1. War, really
4: the Unwanted Children, the Unwanted Children, different and we're going to see is there any
2: <laughs> is there any uh, validity? Is there anything to, good to be gleaned from these films? Uh, it is called Lobstrosities. We're going to introduce that segment next week. We're looking forward to it. We don't know what movie we're going to watch yet, not yet, but it'll be something probably really shitty. <laughs> so. but, but the week after that. Week after that, we're, we're heading uh, into... Uh, we're getting into the mist. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're going to be joining the skeleton crew.
2: Yeah, we're, we're starting up I our... I there's
4: something in the mist. There is
2: something in the mist. There uh, is. There's several other short stories, mm-hmm. um, as well as monsters. <laughs> but yeah, yeah we also are... Also monsters. <laughs> but we are starting... And somewhere in there
1: is uh, a hunky Thomas
2: James. Yes. Yeah. and uh so, is <laughs> so, so we will be starting uh, our skeleton crew with a whole episode devoted to the mist, and then we're going to dive into the story. So it's going to be... We're going to spend a couple episodes on that just like we did with night shift we're excited to go back to the short story land
4: is it is it too uh, much of a spoiler to say we'll be ranking them and that you should too if you're listening yeah yeah the just go like ahead. we did
2: with night shift we're gonna be ranking them from worst to best and we'll probably keep the mist out of that and talk about the objective mist on its own objective worst objective worst to best, worst <laughs> to best. Uh, we know a lot of you agreed with every choice we made with the night shift ranking so uh we're expecting that again but yeah we're excited it'll be a nice little way to You know, a nice little reprieve before we dive into it, which is coming soon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be fun. And uh, if you haven't already, please do, like Mike said, follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're going to be posting a lot of information about the film festival and just upcoming episodes and questions for you, the listeners who we enjoy so much. And then also leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you can leave us reviews. That really helps us out. We really like them. Unless they're mean, then it makes – I think you you and Justin especially, you guys get really bummed about well, it. Well, Justin
1: shares them on our text threads.
2: Yeah, which he probably shouldn't. So if that makes you feel better, listener, know that we we do read it. Yeah. So if you really want to stick we it to weep. us – Yeah. If you really want to stick it to us, just, you know, know that we will read it and, uh, you know, it'll haunt us it'll haunt us like like it the, does
1: haunt us i mean now that i'm living alone again for the first time about eight years i go to sleep the with Ford these Florida reviews this, <laughs> Yeah, right next to that pizza joint that i hit at uh you know just sitting there uh smoking cigarettes and reading your
2: back door open
1: oh yeah it's great it's just like and you if you want to recreate my favorite scene from the untouchables uh i do keep the back door open sometimes so you could just you're walk also, right in
2: you're also a lot like judd crandall just sitting on the porch Drinking some beer, Drinking and, uh, some beer smoking and smoking some cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm staring at my neighbors
1: across the street. And You know, you wouldn't believe it, but there's a, you know, a Micmac burial ground down the Look, road. This isn't
4: to say that we're not open to constructive criticism. Also. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Actually we're not at we're all. Not. We're we're, we're, we're doing it the way we want to do it. Yeah.
4: Well, I'm thick-skinned enough that you can constructively criticize the podcast.
2: It's true. You can if you're going to do it, do it to Mel. Yeah,
4: it's fine.
2: Yeah. Uh and on that, that note, I think I think that's a good time good way to wrap things up. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been fun. Uh long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant
4: nights.
1: Long days? Uh
2: pleasant nights. <laughs>
1: long days. Pleasant nights. <laughs> Uh, One day And pleasant night
3: <laughs> I got some hot friends God I got some hot